have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. emergency strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot Supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. 
and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. And welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense. You're listening live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media. Oh, I don't even know where the heck I am anymore. iHeart, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Global Entertainment Network. I'm all over the place. I'm your hostess with the least most is the radio chicken, D. Annie. And we're waiting for Curtis to join us. Uh, unfortunately, he had a prior appointment, so he's going to be a little behind schedule, but he will be here. Uh, we got ourselves a rock and roll and good show. want to welcome everyone that's showing up in the uh, chat room here on Blog Talk Radio, as well as those that are watching and listening over on Facebook and YouTube. You can click on the links and go straight to it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. We've got a lot to do today, a lot to talk about. Man, I swear, um, when I first started doing this, uh, you had a hunt for stories, but they are coming at you so fast and furious. When you when you start to watch or read the news or listen to the news, your head just starts to spin. It's like it's going to explode or something. But uh, the, the world's getting nuttier and nuttier. So that gives us, gives us all the more fodder to throw at you. Anyway, we're going to be starting off the show with Kathy Barnett. She's running for Senate out of the state of Pennsylvania. Now, that's a very, very crowded field. That's the same field that Dr. Oz is also running in. So it's going to be interesting how that turns out. And she's doing, I think she said she's doing something like 1,500 miles a week or something like that, uh, just traveling throughout the state to get herself seen and heard. She's, she's fighting hard. She, and if she fights this hard for the seat, Imagine what she will do once she gets to the Senate. Wow. Uh, also, I have uh, Latursa Jones. Uh, she's a candidate for Florida District 11. Uh, and uh, that's also another uh, big field that's going on out there. So uh, Florida District 7, Latursa Jones. And then our friend uh, Mark Tapscott should be joining us, I hope, <laughs> if he doesn't get his head buried in the story and forget about us like he does every now and then. Uh, he's with the Epic Times. He's the D.C. correspondent, as you recall. He's also the founder of Hill Faith, bringing faith to uh, D.C., Capitol Hill. And we have a new book out. It's called Inflation. Um, it's three authors on this one. It's got Steve Forbes, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames. Uh, Steve Forbes had a prior commitment, so we have Nathan Lewis who will be joining us. Uh, the title of the book is Inflation what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. It's a really good book. It really opens up your eyes on and what the crap, excuse my language, the, the BS that media and our government are shoveling at us. Like, inflation's a good thing, you know? Higher prices are a good thing. Yeah, right. This book really, really does spell it out. And then we're going to close off the show with Doug Badger from Heritage Foundation. He is a senior fellow in the Center for Health and Welfare uh, Policy at the Heritage Foundation. So we got a lot to do, a lot to talk about, and uh, wow, I did that all in one breath. 
I do see some people in the studio. Uh, if you do want to participate in the show, please uh, press one so I know that uh, you're asking. At this point, we start off each, excuse me, each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's dedication is actually going to go out to two, two officers, Police Officer Jake Reed and Corporal Ben Cooper of the Joplin Police Department in Missouri. They were both shot on March 8th of this year and died in the line of duty. And this is from the thepolicetribune.com by Holly Matkin. And it reads, Joplin Police Department Corporal Benjamin Ben Cooper was murdered in the line of duty on Tuesday, March 8th, in the afternoon, while responding to a disturbance near a shopping center. The incident began around 1.22 p.m. on March 8th in the area of 4th and Range Line Road near the North Park Crossing Shopping Center, according to the Joplin Globe. Joplin Police Assistant Chief Brian Lewis said officers were responding to a disturbance when they encountered an armed suspect, according to KOAM. When police attempted to take him into custody, the gunmen opened fire, wounding two of the officers. Assistant Chief Lewis said, the suspect then jumped behind the wheel of patrol car and fled the scene. Police pursued the gunmen to the area of Connecticut Avenue and 9th Street, where he crashed the stolen patrol vehicle and took off on foot. Witness Kim Jenkins, who lives on the corner of Carolina and Connecticut Avenues, said she looked outside after hearing sirens in her neighborhood and spotted a man with a gun hiding behind her neighbor's fence across the street. When an officer in a patrol vehicle came flying down the road a moment later, Jenkins stepped outside her front door and tried to wave the officer down to show him the suspect's hiding place, but she was unsure if he saw her or not. The suspect then ran towards a nearby apartment building just as the officer spun around and headed back up the street. Jenkins had told the Joplin Globe. The officer pulled to a stop directly in front of a van the gunman was using as cover and immediately came under fire, she explained. I don't think he even had time to get out of his car when the guy started shooting, Jenkins said. The gunman appeared to shoot right through the windshield of the cruiser. Additional officers arrived just after the shooting and returned fire, striking the suspect multiple times. Jenkins said she saw the gunman collapse to the ground. The gunman and all three wounded officers were transported to area hospitals. The JPD confirmed that the suspect died from his wounds. He was later identified by police as 40-year-old Anthony Felix. The Joplin Police Department Chief Sloan Rowland confirmed during a press conference that one of the wounded officers was listed in serious but stable condition and that a second officer was listed in critical condition. Chief Rowland publicly identified the fallen officer as Corporal Cooper during the press conference with Joplin City Manager Nick Edwards and Mayor Ryan Stanley the following day. This is a tragic day for the Joplin Police Department and the city of Joplin as a whole, Roland told reporters. We are a very large extended family at the Joplin Police Department, and today we're hurting, 
and we're feeling that throughout the community. This was a violent and unwarranted attack on our officers and is indicative of the rise in violence against law enforcement we are witnessing nationwide, he continued. It has to stop. Corporal Cooper joined the JPD in 2003 and later transferred to a sheriff's department in Colorado, according to the chief. He returned to the JPD in 2013 and was promoted to the rank of corporal three years later. Corporal Cooper leaves behind his wife and two daughters. Edwards asked the public to reflect with him on the heroism of the Joplin Police Department in addition to the tragic loss of Corporal Cooper and the impact this incident has had on many lives and families. Stanley had ordered all flags to be lowered to half-staff in honor of Corporal Cooper and his fellow wounded officers. Every day, we are called to honor the sacrifices of our bravest, and today we are reminded why, the mayor said. Corporal Cooper made the greatest sacrifice for the city. Our thoughts and prayers are with the family of Joplin Police Department Corporal Ben Cooper, both blue, blood and blue. Thank you for your service. Corporal Benjamin Cooper, your life mattered. And this is from Four State Homepage by Jessica Scher. Just three days after laying fallen Corporal Ben Cooper to rest, Joplin police honor the second officer killed in last week's shooting. Officer Jake Reed's service was meant to make people smile and think of good times. Outside, the silence following his last call was deafening, and while the clouds wept, the tears flowed inside the Missouri Southern Leggett and Platt Athletic Center. Dear Jake, there's nothing to say to take away the pain of living in this world without you in it, said Sam Reed in a letter he wrote and read out loud to his older brother, Jake. Jake's mom, Melissa, said earlier this week, there is nothing negative or sad about the way he lived his life, as we spoke about Jake, said Captain Trevor Duncan, Joplin Police Department. Officer Reed is remembered as loving, caring, friendly, and funny. Jake had one of the biggest hearts of anyone I've ever met. He was always checking on me, making sure, and he was always there for me, even when I didn't want him to be said Officer Mac Roach of the Joplin Police Department. Sloan Rowling, Joplin Police Chief, added, Of course, there could be no description of Jake. Without talking about Jake's sense of humor, so I'd like to focus on that. Chief Rowland shared stories of how quirky Jake and his spirit truly were. A couple of months ago, I had a knee injury, so I had to ride the elevator for a while and couldn't take the stairs. And I see Jake coming down the hallway at me, and they say, infectious grin, he had. I say a mischievous grin, because he was always grinning. He looked at me and started grinning. I said, morning. He said, hi. And as he ran into the corner, he said, are you taking the elevator? I said, yep. He goes, yeah. You need to save those hips of yours at your age, said Chief Roland. 
You let me watch South Park with you and laugh until our stomachs hurt. You taught me how to play video games as if I was your young protege, said Sam Reed. Officer Reed's decision to be an organ donor and save more lives was also highlighted. Through this act, Jake saved the lives of numerous people around the country. My fervent hope is that someday those individuals will learn of this remarkable man and honor him with a life well lived, said Chief Rowland. His friends then reminded everyone to live like Jake lived. Don't stop doing the things you love. Don't stop golfing, watching football, watching baseball, or video gaming. Jake wouldn't want that. Instead, do those things with a purpose. And think of Jake while you're doing those things, said Detective Logan Boline of the Joplin Police Department. Chief Rowland said, so today, Jake, we lift you up. We honor everything about you. We cherish you. We love the time that God gave us to spend with you. And we thank him for that. Jake's brother Sam said, the past week, has felt like a miserable movie on in which the hero never recovers. It was and is a privilege to be your brother, to be loved by you. You had saved countless lives. Today's show is dedicated to two, these two brave officers. Police Officer Jake Reed and Corporal Ben Cooper. You are end of tour. Stand down. We'll take it from here. Today's show is also dedicated to all of the brave men and women that serve as first responders. Be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. It's also dedicated to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into our promising future. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Herndon. My name is America. May God bless each and every one.
And we're back. You're here listening to Sons of Sense live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, uh, Global Enlightenment, or entertainment, whatever it is, Global <laughs> Enlightenment Radio, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart. Oh, the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show. You know I'm going to mess it up anyway. Just go to the name of the show. Put a hyphen in the middle, southern-sense.com. And the host is with the least most is the radio chickadee, along with my co-host, Curtis, uh, the brilliant C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. Hey, how are you, Annie? I'm hanging in things? there. If I if mm-hmm. I can manage to not mess up too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it comes with the territory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, we got we got ourselves a great show lined up, and as I was saying earlier, we have Kathy Barnett. She'll be starting off. She'll be calling in very shortly. Um. We only have her for a few minutes, but that's okay. We'll we'll take it. Uh, we also have your friend, Teresa Jones. Uh, she's running for uh, Congress out of Florida's District 11. And Kathy Barnett is running for Senate out of Pennsylvania. Uh, Mark Tapscott, if he remembers, <laughs> should be calling in. He gets a little absent-minded, but that's okay. We forgive him. And then we have a new book out that just came out last month by Steve Forbes, Nathan Lewis, and Elizabeth Ames, and we have Nathan Lewis joining us as one of the co-authors titled Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. And then we close off the show with our heritage guest of Doug Badger. So we have ourselves a lot lined up and a lot to talk about and a lot to do. 
Wow. Should learn a lot today. Should learn a yeah. lot. Yeah. Now, I, I have to laugh because um, you sent me an article. Well, you have, you have an email list that you send articles out to people. And no sooner did I read it, the news popped up about CNN Plus. Now, um, that little, little blurb you, you titled, Freedom is on the March and Cannot Be Stopped. Tell us about that article you wrote. <laughs> well, it's, it's a response to um, the distractors of freedom and liberty here in Florida and, and really the rest of the United States who seem to oppose um, our governor's um, position on um, how he's, you know, preserving our liberties and freedoms here. Um, we, he just signed a bill the other day that prohibits um, all this transgender um, um, propaganda being taught to K through 3. Now, we really want to get it up to K through 12, but, you know, we sometimes have to do this stuff incrementally like the left does when we can't get everything we want right away. And they also attacked him about um, his position on Disney and their special status um, that was established, you know, back when Walt Disney was alive um, before 68, which at that time, you know, it was a very conservative um, corporation, thanks to Walt. But since then, it's been taken over by left wings, you know, coming out of Hollywood. And um, as we know, they are a part of this woke uh, community. And um, we just have to have more governors and leaders like um, Trump and Ron DeSantis to um, stand up to these guys, no matter what. So that's why I wrote that little blurb that I did, because I was just tired of it. <laughs> well, I, I love the line that uh, this time we will put bucket full of tears back into their eyes during the upcoming midterm election and the upcoming mm -hmm. 2024 election. As for those athwart to the principles that this republic was founded on, the foul-mouthed, poverty pimps, perverted baby killers they are, may they one day realize the futility and follow of their ways. <laughs> I just loved oh, it. Yeah. I loved it. And right now, they're all crying and screaming because CNN spent, what, $3 million to do CNN Plus? Charging five ninety nine a month uh, for and something that watching. ten thousand people signed up. That's it, ten thousand. That's all that signed up for it. I mean, people can listen for, to me for free, and I know I exceed that. I know at one point, um, uh, Daryl was telling me that one show alone had got something like fifty three thousand hits on just his one station. So Lord knows what it's hitting on all the others. Uh, I've, I would I would love to know the stats, but I haven't been able to figure out how the heck to do that, or even half the people that are carrying me. <laughs> well, most Americans are starting to wake up now, and they see, you know, the direction this country is heading, and they don't like it at all. Even some um, Democrats, because a lot of Democrats are patriots. You know, they're patriotic. They just don't know that their their party's responsible for a lot of this nonsense going on. They just don't know it. And that's why I try to make it an effort with my friends and relatives that are Democrats to let them know who's behind all this this transgender stuff and the um, environmental movement and all that, you know. It's the Democrat Party and um, those who are funding them, like George Soros. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we're, we're waiting for uh, Kathy Barnett to uh, call in. Uh, so she should be calling in very shortly because uh was reconfirmed. So just making sure that that she has the number and she will call in. So um, anyway, uh, what else? You have another book that's coming out, right? Yes, I have. Um, this is my, my sixth military suspense novel. It's called Retribution for the Burks. And as with all of my, my military action suspense um, novels, I pay homage to our elite special forces um, units um, to include some units people never heard of. I mean, everybody heard of Green Berets, um, Delta Force, Navy SEALs, SEAL Team 6, but few know about the Army Rangers, um, few know about um, the Marine Raiders um, from MARSOC, the Marine Special Operations Command. That's that came about um, 2005, and few know about the Air Force um, combat um, controllers. These guys are just as elite as um, any Delta Force because they go in and they they come in with equipment and stuff to help direct airstrikes and airplanes and, 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 and bombers and things like that. And a lot of times they end up saving the butts of some of the SEAL team members and stuff. They all have the same rigorous training. So I pay homage to them, and um, retribution for the births is so it's a suspense in the sense that um, we have um, special forces um, uh, personnel who somehow mysteriously are killed, and they all happen to be related. The thing about it is because of what happened on the USS Sullivan's, uh, well, okay, we got our our guests, and so I'll continue this later. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to welcome back to the show. Uh, she's a candidate for Senate out of the state of Pennsylvania, Kathy Barnett. Good afternoon, Kathy. How are you today? I am doing well. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me back on. Oh, it is hey, our pleasure. How are you? I mean, <laughs> I think I'm uh, missing the first. <laughs> I, uh, how, how many of you are coming into the Republican primary? I was looking down that list, and my head was spinning. Boy, what a field Pennsylvania is putting out there. I would say uh, there's a crimson tide coming somewhere. Well, uh, there's seven on the books, I think. I lose count as well. But what I do know that according to the last poll, the Travolver poll, which is perhaps one of the better polls out there, if there is such a thing as a you know, scientific poll, I am in a statistical three-way tie for first place. So I am so excited. I know, right? I am so excited. Uh, It is completely engined by the people. And so uh, these are very interesting days. Oh, that they are. That they are. I mean, we only have you for a few minutes, but I was doing my notes last night and going back over, and I see that you've updated your website, which is really great. People want to help you. They can go to barnettforsenate.com, and that's F-O-R, not the number four, barnettforsenate.com, and look at your policies. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking at, you see in the news every single day, um, we hear about Ukraine, but for some reason the media now is not paying attention to the border, the southern border, much less overextended visas. Uh, and, and you're kind of like 
Title 42 is going to disappear in a matter of days. Shouldn't we be frightened? Um, Well, we should be certainly very concerned about that, right? Because essentially what Biden is saying is that Title 42 was put into place by uh, the previous president, President Trump, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Title 42 essentially stopped about 55% of the illegal border crossing into our country because, of course, if we're already dealing with a national emergency with this pandemic, the last thing you want is for, you know, uh, people to just be able to walk into our country and we don't have the mechanisms in place for them to make sure that they're having to undergo the same draconian measures we remember taking these past two years. So that's what President Trump put in. Biden is now saying in a couple of days the uh, the rest of the nation is on is still under the national emergency of this pandemic but at the border there is no national emergency as it relates to uh COVID. i don't know how that works but i think this is just another example of democrats not following the science because how can we have a national emergency as it relates to COVID inside the country but we don't have that exact same national emergency as it relates to COVID at the border, but that is just another thing that they're doing. You have to be able to look, whether we're talking about at the border or whether we're talking about Ukraine or this war on energy or what's going on in China and Taiwan or with our supply, the inflation, all of these things can end today. But in order for them to do that, Democrats who are at the helm of our nation right now, they would have to admit that every single thing they've ever said and done has been a complete failure. And what are the odds of them doing that? So instead, they offer us things like hashtag Putin inflation, hashtag Putin gas hype, hashtag big bad oil executives. Instead of doing what is necessary to remove this war on, on fossil fuel that we're experiencing right now, to do the necessary things to secure our own borders and a whole host of other issues. We're having real problems, but they continue to distract us to look elsewhere instead of looking at what is happening within our own borders and certainly as a result of our own weakness, how that is translating into foreign affairs. Oh, but don't you know, we really don't have that bad a energy problem. Just the gas is a little bit more expensive, but what's he do? He sends Jake Sullivan over to... Uh, Saudi Arabia, to ask them to boost their output, and yet they continue to anger the Saudis, and the Saudi uh, uh, envoy ended up yelling at Jake Sullivan, just basically telling him to go F himself, (laughs) that they were not going to do anything. These are really unnerving times right now. The power and the wealth that, you know, that, that we as Americans have enjoyed is shifting. It is as a direct result of what Democrats and their ideology is doing. They are shifting the world power and they are shifting the world's wealth away from America and other nations that at one point was our allies, like those a part of the um, uh, Arab League, Saudi Arabia, UAE, let's talk about Bangladesh, India, what we are watching, and we're going to watch more of this happen, is that they will begin to pivot away from America, as they're already doing, 
and begin to start looking at other relationships, even if those relationships are with people such as Putin or people such as um, Xi Jinping, they are looking at where the power is shifting, where the wealth is shifting, and they are going to do what they believe is in the best interest of their own country. And so we're watching that. These are not, you know, comical times. Biden is a clown, but there's nothing funny about what is going on as a result of him and the Democrat Party being um, at the helm of our nation. You know, they've been deval- devaluating the dollar. They've been printing it. There's, no, there's nothing to back the, our currency. It's fiat money. And now the world is looking at it saying, well, we're not going to base the world economy upon the dollar anymore. Why don't we use maybe the yen? That, that, should, well, that could well, cause well, our economy to collapse. Well, we heard, um, you know, uh, the UAE say that if Biden continues to ignore their calls to not get into another, you know, uh, JCPOA, the Iran deal 2.0, then they would start considering, right, uh, trading their oil in something other than the U.S. dollar. Um, these are, I don't believe that these are just idle threats. But again, you know, uh, when we're looking at, uh, you know, it, it was Milton Friedman you know, world Nobel Prize award-winning economist, he said that inflation is always and everywhere a result of monetary policies or monetary um, uh, phenomenon. And it is as a direct, we're experiencing inflation as a direct result of the Federal Reserve, all the money that they pump into our economy. When you have that kind of uh, currency uh, or uh, money that is now in the in the population, you have to have something to absorb it. Generally, it will be good supplies, right? Uh, but when you have, for example, I'm sure everyone remembers when we had all of these ships just hanging out at the various ports, not being able to get their products into the stores. You walk into most stores today, you still see empty shelves. We do not have the necessary supplies that would absorb all of that cash. And when you don't have supplies for people to buy, goods for people to buy, you're going to have a whole lot of cash uh, out there, and that is what causes inflation, supply, and demand. And so not only do we have ports and Pete Buttigieg, you know, if you remember his excuse for not doing anything when this first happened, is that he was at home um, after the birth of his children. I guess he had to, you know, to, to get over, you know, all the pain of, 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 of doing all of that. Exactly, he knows, but he wasn't at the helm of our nation when we needed him the most. So he's also a part of the reason why we don't have the necessary goods and supplies to absorb all of all of that uh, increased money. But then you look at what's going on with Ukraine and Russia. 30% of our wheat and other products come from that port. So now that, too, is going to stymie the amount of goods that could absorb that particular, um, uh, all of that money. But then you look at what Democrats are doing with our energy. There's a tremendous amount of demand. We could put that out there on the market to absorb some of this cash. So I say all of this to say, to paint the picture, our nation is in trouble. And either you have to say to yourself, either these are some of the dumbest people who have ever managed to get into position of power around our country, or these people know exactly what they're doing. I am of the latter camp. I do not believe these are stupid people. I, I believe that they are um, that they know exactly what they're doing. I don't know if they fully understand the 
they impacted what they're doing, but these are not dumb people who are uh, making these decisions. Um, you know, supply and demand, it has always been there. We always know that inflation is driven by the Federal Reserve, and these things are, there's no ceiling on it. There's no one coming and saying, okay, let's bring adults into the room and let's manage this and let's begin to put in the proper restraints. We don't see that happening. Well, you know, one thing that – all right, go ahead, Curtis. Kathy, this is CS. Um, we we sent a lot of uh, our candidates um, who won elections to Washington, D.C., and before long they're up there, there to get along instead of representing the the, the people that sent them there. How do you see your role as a senator once you get there in regards to um, the people who sent you there? Yeah, um, go back on my website on Monday, and we'll be um, explaining that more so in detail. But, um, you know, I am doing all that I know to do to, you know, I've limited myself uh, to two terms only. I, I do not believe we should have to wait for people to die in order for them to get out of office because apparently when you get in office, these people live forever. Look at Biden and um, uh, Diane Feinstein and Nancy Pelosi. I mean, like, good God almighty. And they don't stop and just go somewhere and sit down. They just keep running and they literally just die. Um, you know, so I, I've limited myself. I've put really great people around me. I am very focused. I am making sure that you know, there are things that I will uh, hit the ground running on, and these are the things that I will be uh, there to accomplish. I'm also really big on um, transparency and ethics and will hold myself to that standard. And in addition, my husband and I have vowed to not uh, invest in individual stocks. We will only invest in mutual funds. And I think that that, I mean, if you saw what Nancy Pelosi, she just made $35 million on a trade in Google stocks, a stock that is that reports directly in her committee. So that we would call that insider trading. Um, so there are some things that we can do. There are some things that I've already been very public about um, that I will do to make sure I preserve my soul and don't lose it when I get into D.C. That's a huge, huge amen. Uh, one thing that drives me crazy because Obama did this a lot entered into agreements with foreign countries, but isn't that called a treaty and doesn't it require the Senate to ratify it before it is recognized by the American government and should be recognized and enforced by the president? And because we have people who are, you know, um, are motivated by some uh, insidious um, agenda, uh, he was able to uh, say this isn't a treaty, it's just an agreement. And with that wiggle room, our legislators on our side of the aisle uh, did, did virtually nothing. You saw that. The, uh, the JCPOA uh, under Obama was put into place and things were happening and it was Donald Trump who came in and removed that executive order. Now, in 2016, you know, uh, those in Congress learning from what Obama did uh, passed a law that in, uh, it was signed into, passed a bill that was signed into law that every treaty would have to be approved by Congress. But now we see once more Biden taking his cues from the uh, Obama administration and, and trying to subvert the law once more uh, because they do not want, they, they have an agenda. And come hell or high water, they're going to do their agenda, whether it is in the best, the, the benefit 
of Americans or not. Um, and that's just not the way it's supposed to work. We need, you know, uh, senators in office who will stop abdicating their jurisdiction and providing oversight to an executive branch that has gone awry, that is just out here acting as though he is king. Uh, that is direct jurisdiction of the Senate to do that. We just have to have people who have a backbone who will stop uh, uh, abdicating their role in providing that oversight. That is certainly something I will most definitely do is put a spotlight on it and not continue to abdicate our role or specifically my role um, in jurisdiction and providing that kind of oversight in this runaway administration. You know, uh, Thank I was you guys your- so much. Oh, Kathy, thank you for have, uh, joining us again, and you're always welcome back. Your primary is when? It's coming up real fast. Yes, it is. 24 days, and it's all she wrote. Uh, May 17th, the last day to register. If you are not a Republican, we have closed primaries. So if you're not a Republican, you have until May 2nd to change your registration from Democrat to Republican or Independent to Republican, and then May 17th, 24 days from now. Please go to my website at barnettforsenate.com. Donate, sign up to volunteer, door knockers. We need um, phone bankers. There's a lot of work to do over these next 24 days. Well, God bless you for the hard work. And and good luck. Thank you guys so much. You'll be in our prayer. Good luck to all of us. Good luck to all of us. Blessing. Uh, oh, yeah. Kathy Barnett, check her out. Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T-E, for F-O-R, Senate.com. Uh, it's, it's a really good site. She really updated it very, very nicely. And uh, I commend her for that. And she's in a three-way tie for first place. Amen. Amen, sister. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really happy for her. Really, really happy for her. But uh, Oh, yeah. I was going to ask her because, you know, one of the things I was reading, one of the specific reasons why I asked her about, you know, the uh, ratification of treaties by the Senate, which is in the Constitution. <clears throat> and obviously uh, Obama and Biden have absolutely no respect for the Constitution. They've been talking to Iran, bringing back the Iran deal. And Iran is dictating to us the terms of it demanding that we recognize the um, oh, uh, the Republican Guard, the Islamic Republican Guard, which we, under President Trump, have de- designated a terrorist group. They want us to no longer designate it as a terrorist organization and to recognize the, them as legitimate to remove the sanctions. You know, why don't you just turn around and say, um, why don't we just hand you the entire store? Put whatever you want in there. Take whatever you want. You know, it doesn't matter. We're just going to agree to anything you say. What a bunch of blooming idiots. Now 500 scientists, Iranian-American scientists, wrote to the White House asking him to not recognize the Republican Guard, to keep them on the terrorist watch list. And they scientifically said why and what Iran is doing to enrich Weapon-grade uranium, which you know will, they will use against the great Satan, the United States, as well as, as Israel and any other enemy they deem. They, they have no discipline. It's not like um, John F. Kennedy with his thumb on the, on, the, on the bomb 
for President Trump with his thumb on the bomb. I mean, you're handing kids, little kids, the candy factory. Well, you know, Democrat Party, because of their agenda, they will capitulate to Iran and ignore these um, Iranian uh, exiles who are scientists and brilliant minds because it's not what they, they're trying to express to the, this administration. doesn't, you know, gel with the agenda that the Biden administration um, has gone. So I don't see any any leeway in that department as far as us, you know, rejecting Iran's demands. Now, and that's, that's the scary part. That is the very, very scary part, because this administration will definitely capitulate. I mean, you've got, you've got the Saudis yelling at our envoy, who's asking for them to increase the production of oil. I mean, they pre- presented such a ridiculous... Uh, what they did was Biden all along has been pointing the figure at Saudi Arabia. And yes, they do have some human rights violations. And yes, there's a question about, you know, who killed that reporter Khashoggi uh, that was inside the Turkish embassy in Istanbul, uh, whether or not the Saudi king himself was the one who ordered the assassination or not. You know, that investigation, I don't know if it'll ever, anything will ever come of it. But for us to lecture them and then demand that they increase their oil to benefit us. President Biden, when he was a senator, insulted Saudi Arabia. And ever and from day one, it's been Biden on one side, Saudi Arabia on the other. So now he's president, and he thinks, this adult-minded man thinks that he can dictate to Saudi Arabia. I mean, he can't even dictate to Iran but yet he wants to dictate to Saudi Arabia. He cannot help the Ukrainians with armaments and supplies, but he can dictate to Saudi Arabia. And now Saudi Arabia is looking over to China, looking over to Russia, and saying, hmm, maybe I may have a better relationship with them. This is the way, as Kathy said, this is the way the world is going. This is where the power is going to be shifting. Let's align ourselves with the power. And that's how nations well, work. There's no secret that um, Joe Biden is a puppet and a mouthpiece for those who are um, behind the scenes um, directing him on what to say and what policies to put forth and to um, follow through with. Uh, I don't think he has an original idea of his own. I don't even think he could spell the word original. But the thing is, he's being... Much less um, idea. <laughs> yeah. He's he's being um, controlled and manipulated and used. And um, we need to get at who these people behind the scenes are. That's what we need to find out as a nation. That we do. I hang on just a second. I'm just posting something up uh, on YouTube. Those that are listening on YouTube know what's going on. All right, back. Okay. See, I have to walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. You know, we were talking about um, the left absolutely going ape uh, because they're finding that their woke policies are not really working. Well, Elon Musk. 
Yeah. Well, Elon Musk, who made the bid for purchasing um, the majority holdings in Twitter, has now got the funding. People were questioning whether or not he was going to be able to get partners, and he has the funding. And actually, he's looking to up the ante on this one. So it's a real possibility because Elon Musk, he goes to go for something and he gets it. I mean, this guy's a gold mine. Uh, anything he touches just turns to gold. Uh, as a matter of fact, for the first time, I actually saw a Tesla on the road. I was driving uh, back from my eye doctor appointment. I look over and there's this car. I'm going, that's a funny looking car. And as I look, I realize it's a Tesla. And, I mean, it's a sleek-looking car. I don't know if I'd ever would buy one. You want to spend about 65000 to $100,000 on an electric car. And I don't know about that. That's like, that's like a mortgage payment. I've been behind the wheels of one one time. Um, I went to California to visit my son, and he's, a, he's into all this high-tech stuff, and he made arrangements for us to um, – have a, a, a trial um, ride in a Tesla car. And, of mm. course, um, the dealership representative, he went along with us. So we went on the expressway at that, and um, my son was behind the wheel, and he went fully automatic. In other words, let the car, you know, um, drive us and switch lanes and things like that. It was kind of spooky for me. but um, That, that, and I that would scare back. me. Yeah, but I drove back, but I, I, I went into manual mode. I want to control. <laughs> I don't want to give control oh, I... over to a computer system. But it was a, it was a nice car though. It was it was just weird to have a car weaving in and out of traffic on a, a highway. You know, with you having hands off, you know, experience. It's really crazy. When you have unpredict unpredictable vehicles around you because you never know what the vehicle beside you, in front of you, or behind you is going to do. I mean, right. when I drive, I, I am 360 when I drive. I use all my mirrors and everything. I want to know exactly who's really up close behind me making me uncomfortable, who's going too slow in front of me, who's weaving in and out of traffic who may be dangerous, how's the person driving next to me, are they in my blind spot? I, my head is... I can't say 360, but I'm using all the mirrors. I'm using everything to make sure I know what's around me 360 degrees. How does a machine, a computer, do what I do? It may be able to detect what the vehicles are, but can you predict or knowing the pattern you see in front of you, predict what that person's going to do? Are they going to slam on their brakes? Are they going to turn around, speed up, and tailgate you? Or are they a little ticked off because you're too close behind them? Slow down. Just didn't annoy you. You don't know what a person's going to do. Are they going to have a heart attack behind the wheel and all of a sudden veer straight into the side of your vehicle? And it just, it scares me. But that's the way yeah, they want too. you to go. I mean, that, yeah, that really this, does. This is what they call the, the, the technology of the future today. Like I said, it scares me because... I like to be in control, you know, and um, when it comes to driving, um, something like a tram or something like a monorail, that's a little different because that's usually up above the ground, and anything you're going to hit usually will be a bird, and that's about it, not another vehicle. Um, 
those those high speed trains that go like two hundred miles an hour, I wouldn't trust that. <laughs> hey, listen, um, are you supposed to call Latressa? Uh, I know I sent you the phone number for uh, Nathan, but something tells me in the back of my mind you've got to call her also, didn't you? I think I sent you a email or something. No, I sent her the calling number. Oh, okay. I will. All right. I will. We got what four more minutes, but I'll give okay. her. I'll text her a reminder. All right. Well, I know I sent you the one for Nathan. That's why I just I'm I'm confusing oh, yeah. myself. It's just not too hard lately. Not too hard <laughs> to do lately. Because well, trust me, trust me, trust me. There's so much going on now. Yeah. Well. I got to say something. Um, I was watching uh, an interview up on Newsmax the other day, and um, I was fascinated by this watch company, Egard, E-G-A-R-D, Egard Watches. And the owner, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but his first name is Elon. Um, he makes these beautiful watches, really beautiful. But when um, they were doing the Supreme Court hearings, uh, for our new SCOTUS uh, justice, um, when she was asked, what is a woman? And she could not define a woman. Now, a woman could not define what a woman is. Um, okay. Uh, that made no sense. I, I think the entire world said that made absolutely no sense. Well, what he did is, because no. this guy's also a filmmaker, and it's a father and son business, and it's based out of Florida, and they also have an additional office up in Toronto, and they handcraft these watches. Beautiful. But he came up with this commercial defining what a woman is, and what a wonderful, wonderful, uplifting commercial it is. And uh, his message was, I'm sorry, uh, this is, we're not going to do this woke thing. If you don't know what a woman is, you've got a problem. But that's not what he said, but he, he did it as a a very uplifting. Um, the ad is called Speak Truth. Uh, no, 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 that was the previous one. Well, what is a woman is this one. But prior in 2020, he did one supporting law enforcement at the height of the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter protests called Speak Truth. And he was awarded the 2020 Award for Courage. And so I went on to the website, and I'm going to hold it up to the camera. I bought one. I am wearing it right now. I've got an e-guard on it. I will support companies, businesses that support us as conservatives, as Christian conservatives, that get it, that are not woke companies. So I'm telling you, hey, Disney, hey, look, Disney, I support America. So I bought one of the watches. And then I sent a thank you letter because it came. I ordered it within 48 hours. I had it. And they're not that expensive. I was really surprised. I'm thinking I'm going to be paying a couple hundred dollars. They do have some high-end ones, but they also have things like necklaces that support womenhood, that support faith. So people go onto the website, eGuard, E-G-A-R-D, watches. And I believe that's what their website is, eGuardWatches.com. So Adidas, Nike, So this is not a commercial. I'm not getting paid for that, but I'm just saying, you know, support businesses that support us. 
And that's the only way we're going to do the cancel culture against woke. I mean, Disney's already feeling it. Their shares are down. Their visitors are down. Oh, yeah. So I, I do believe this is our next guest. And let me bring on. Like okay, let's bring on Latresa Jones, who's running for uh, Congress out of Florida District 11. Good afternoon, Latresa. How are you today? I am fabulous. How about you, Annie? I'm hanging in there. I'm hunky-dory. I was just hey, telling uh, that, uh, hey, you Hey, how you doing? That's my friend. All right. See ya. I was saying that Newsmax had a gentleman on that owns uh, eGuard watches, and he made a marvelous film about what is a woman, countering the woke. So I went and I bought one of the watches. Now, if a Supreme Court justice who is a female can't tell <laughs> tell Congress or the Senate – what the heck a woman is? I think we got a problem coming on the bench. Considering and, you know, she I'm, I'm, birthed a child. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie was fantasy. It don't happen, folks. A woman is a woman is a woman. There's no and ifs, or buts about it. If you were born XY, you're men. If you're born whatever, for, you can't change the DNA. You can alter yeah. surgically, but you can't change what God created. But anyway, uh, tell us about your campaign. And you're in a pretty large field, too. You've got a primary coming up also. Well, actually, we do. And I, there's a lot going on here in the great state of Florida, as you know. We actually just got a new uh, congressional map because of the redistricting. So everybody will be, have to switch districts at this particular point under Governor DeSantis's map. We won't have any incumbents on that map either. And that's what I think the general public should know about what's going on with redistricting. I had to get in the race in order to start getting petitions collected and to raise money. So I did that in District 11. But everything is going to change, and all voters in the state of Florida will receive new uh, voter registration cards in the month of June because everything has been redistricted. Wow. wow. So what, what district will you end up in? Do you know? I don't know yet. Once it's finalized, or the governor signs off on the map, and, of course, we see if our opponents, the wonderful, um, you know, something interesting happened here in Florida uh, during this, um, when the governor called them back to Tallahassee in order to get these maps drawn. Well, I found interesting, it was the Democrat representative that had called Governor, race, uh, Governor DeSantis racist. It was the representatives that's supposed to represent everybody in the district. And I think that they should have a consequence for that. And the reason I say that is because if you are a sworn-in representative in this country, whether it's the state of Florida or anywhere else, you have a responsibility to represent everyone in that district, not just a certain group of people. You can't just represent the black people in the district. What about the Hispanic people? What about the Caucasian people? They don't deserve representation. So well, that's, I, I feel that's, very strongly about this. No, because uh, here in South Carolina, we they were trying to redraw the map and splitting um, Congressional District 1, which is Nancy Mace, into three different areas, basically breaking it up, guaranteeing Beer Can Joe Cunningham returning to Congress. And when they were having the hearings, they heard from us. 
They heard from the people of District 1 so loudly, so clearly, they kept us united. So that seat, it looks like, is going to stay red. uh, But we've got the primary coming up. I believe it's June 15th. And it's really heating up. It is really heating up. Uh, I had Katie Arrington and uh, Lindsay uh, Piper Lomas at my last Tea Party meeting uh, this past Monday. And my members, I mean, the place was packed. I mean, absolutely packed. Here in District 1, we are really fired up. And I imagine, of course, every district that's red, the people are really fired up. I mean, it's a crimson tide coming. Yes, yes, and it has to come as well. But, you know, I'll tell you something, um, you and Mr. Bennett as well, that my concern is that I want to see the black Republicans with conservative values stand up, and we're going to stand behind Governor DeSantis as well. We have to do this across the country because this is not about racism. This is about everyone having a voice and us taking America back, taking our children back, bringing God back to this country as well. And as far as my race is concerned, Annie, when you asked me earlier about it, I am a grassroots candidate. I am uh, I, I'm short of 400 petitions to qualify by petition, and we needed about 2,568. So I feel very good about that. And not only that, I actually am a recruiter for an organization called Vanguard. Vanguard is a is a um, the parent company is Axios, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and they are they manage most of the federal campaigns like Ted Cruz and things of that nature. But I provide 10% of their minority outreach to make certain across this country we have involvement in the Republican Party um, with not just the black faces, but the black voices, the black faces, with the Hispanics, with everybody, because that's what we have to make this about. And that's what we're making it about in Florida, because I think we are what we would call the, um, we are the show me state. We're showing everybody how this should be done and how we take control of our state under the leadership of Governor DeSantis. Well, you know, you you do have a fundraiser going on out there to help you raise funds for your campaign. And people can go to givesendgo.com backslash L.A. Jones. Uh, you also have a Facebook page, which is your name. Look, uh, I was saying it perfectly fine before. Now I got myself tongue-tied here. Latursa Jones, L-A-T-E-R-S-A Jones on Facebook. Uh, and then you can find out more about your campaign and may volunteer, maybe help get you some more of these petitions signed. Uh, that'd be great. Yes. Yes, 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 it will. And I'll tell you, we, you know, even as a conservative, we still have to be, we have to be uh, concerned with Facebook and their strategies because, you know, they will, they do block us and they block me a lot as well. So I'm just being fair with myself with this social media um, for for any conservative, and we have to pay attention to that. And, yes, they can support. And if they want me to send them a petition by email where they can mail it back, they can send it to lajones4congress at gmail.com. That's lajones4congress at gmail.com. And I will make sure – I'll get them a petition email to them where they can print it off, fill it out, and send it in. Because remember, that saves me about $11,000 in this campaign. Wow. Wow. That'd be be awesome. I'm a conservative. 
<laughs> yes, yes. I'm a conservative with seven children and nine grandchildren. So I'm going to fight for this country. I'm going to fight for the future of this country because our children need us any more than ever. The generations matter. Just like you guys are fighting over there, we all have to fight together for the good of the generations to come because that's what God says. Our blessings are in our generation. That it is. That it is. You know, um, we're seeing right now uh, movements by our government to cater to either Black Lives Matter or critical race theory. And the National Credit Union Administration held CRT-based training. What, why don't these people understand they got the wrong end of the stick here? They're still trying to shove this down exactly. on tracks. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they're trying to do is shove it down our throats. But you know what happens when they have control of the media is they try to make it look like that, for example, like what President Trump would do a rally. They'll say it's only a handful of people when we know there are hundreds of thousands of people. And that's how they make everything they are doing with this CRT. Because when you're grassroots and you're out talking to people, uh, actually I talk with um a Democrat actually earlier today, she called me. She says, I'm not, we're not supporting this, Latresa. This is not good at all. It confuses our kids. Most of us black Americans don't want it and don't support it. And the media, are, they take a handful of people and they make it look like that's who we're supporting. And I think with black BLM, we have to continue to educate people. Because I, I even ask grown people when they have one of those shirts on, do you know what that represents? Do you know that the woman that start that that's behind this organization? No, she's not behind it. She's the face of the organization. The woman that lives in million dollar mansions uh, off the backs of people that they just put out there and they pay pennies to to go and to tear up our country on behalf with the black face. Uh, and once we educate people, they'll see something different. And I feel like that's the agenda we have to do. We have to educate people on who Black Lives Matter is. Well, you know, if and people don't CRT. know, yes, if people don't know what the National Credit Union Administration is, the NCUA, it is the federal agency that regulates the credit union agency agencies throughout the, the nation. So if you're like Navy Federal Credit Union or Marine Federal Credit Union or whatever credit union, they're teaching the people that are going to regulate where your money sits with CRT. So if you're not politically correct, uh, I would suggest you switch to some other bank than a credit union because this is, if this is what they're going to be forcing on you, honey, it's your money. You want to leave it or you're going to lose it? Go ahead. But this is what our government's doing. Now, we've got so many alphabet soup agencies out there. Um, would mm-hmm. you be working to make sure we start closing down? And which agencies would you go after for, uh, first? Well, I think that you're absolutely right. And I'm going to just give you my own personal experience with my campaign account about the banking system right now. I think the FDIC is the first agency I would personally go after because they are the ones that we are backing to say to secure our monies at the end of the day. And that's in any credit, whether it's a credit union or a bank. 
So a couple of weeks ago, my treasurer called me and he says, I don't know what's going on with the campaign account. I said, what do you mean? He says, I can't access it on the Internet. I can't access it online. I tried to call the 800 number. Well, what he says, well, I'll wait until the, the branch that we open the account up opens and I'll go over there. Well, lo and behold, he goes over there and they told him that my account was closed because the computer closed it. And whatever the criteria was that the computer had, it uh, was the reason it was closed, and they could not override the computer. And he says, well, where's the money that's in the, uh, in the bank account? They told him, we put it in a check, cashier's check and put it in the mail to her. Oh, jeez. Out the blue. And that's because I'm certain because I am a conservative. So this is major. This is not just the... The credit unions, this is, these are banks as well, big banks that are monitoring us and feeling as though they have the right to take our money. They're taking our financial rights away as well. Yeah, I, I've been telling people, get yourselves out of the big, big banks and go to the local state banks. I mean, if you live in a red state, get your money out of those big banks. No Bank of America, no uh, Citibank. Get it out of there. And get yourself into a local state bank. I mean, you can walk in and talk to the manager there, but with these big banks, you can't do that. And it will happen to someone like you. How many other people is it happening to? I mean, that is scary. Correct. That it's is very, very scary. Yeah. Now, uh, I, w- I was looking at some of the stuff that's been going on in Congress this past week or so, and um, President Biden is funding a giving a boost to the IRS, not to clear up the backlog of taxes that have been filed and people can't, or just can't even get through to find out what's going on with their, uh, their tax returns. Uh, instead, they're doing it to enforcement, to the IRS cops. I, when is this crazy spending going to stop? And let's focus on what's more important. You want us to file taxes, you want them done timely, but you are not going to process them. You'd rather process the cops to to audit innocent uh, American citizens? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know where this is going to stop? This is going to stop when we take back Congress. Well, we, we have to make our Congress and our, our Senate red. When we take back Congress, then we are able to stop the madness going on. We're able to stop the spending because one individual will not be able to do it alone. You know, I, I would, that would, for me to say that would just be an outright lie because we have to be on the same page. And if people understand how Congress works, that's why we bring our bills to the floor and we get people to support the bills that we're bringing to the floor so they can get passed. And I think that's why we have to be on the same accord with, that, with an agenda, with a red agenda, to first of all stop this spending is the first thing. The second thing, we're going to have to correct some of these concerns and these bills that this current administration has put in place. For example, uh, like with the CRT. And not even just that, what about all those people from January 6th where they are literally taking their lives away? We have to be able to stop this type of frivolous um, control that we are seeing because this is a new world order in place, and we have to start somewhere. When you have a red Congress and we're all on the same agenda, 
uh, Senator Scott has a 11-point plan as well that he has out there. Uh, he has a lot of good information. The U.S. Senator from Florida. Uh, I was able to sit down and read some of these things, and these are the agendas that we all have to be on the same accord to push in order to stop the spending. Yeah, because uh, Congress just uh, put in the pork barrel $9.6 billion in new earmarks. Well, I thought as conservatives, earmarks were something that we we, we will not endorse. I mean, uh, Senator Coburn, when he was alive, was known as Dr. No. It, every time an earmark came across, he would say, no, no. But now we've got Republicans. I think, how many was it? Uh, I, out of the 17 Republicans, uh Nine actually pushed for these earmarks in their districts. What part of you're spending too much of our money and you're causing more inflation and more unstable economy that do you not understand? Correct. That's absolutely correct. Is it that they don't understand or have they gotten in bed with the devil against the American people and the Constitution and that their agenda is not our agenda? And that's quite obvious. And like you say, you know, just for any Republican, I'd rather them show their faces now, especially during election time, so we can get rid of them and get the right people in those seats. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, out of these, this 9.6, the earmarks for the continuing resolution that they put this in, the $1.5 trillion res- continuing resolution, has nearly 5,000 earmarks. I mean, you should be able to take a bill and put it on a postcard. Uh, can you imagine how thick this thing is to have 5,000 earmarks on it? Holy moly. I mean, has anyone actually long, read the bill? Longer than a exactly. novel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's exactly right. But you know what? When you say that as well, you got to remember, this was a long plan, a long agenda that they had planned years back. Because remember, bills were simplified. Like you say, you should take it and be able to put it on a postcard. But guess who changed that? Under the Clinton administration, that was changed. And that's when they start putting all the pork in the bills and having, I mean, who the heck can read a 5,000-page bill in 24 hours, 48 hours, and understand it? No one. No one. No one. No one. But, you know, there is a little hope, a glimmer of hope. Uh, because the Senate appropriations, um, no, not the Senate, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong one. Uh, there's a bill out there to repeal the NEA's federal charter. Uh, the uh, National School Board Association, um, was, if you remember, said that uh, we were domestic terrorists because we were going after the school boards pushing CRT. Well, they want to take away the certification of the NEA. And that could light the match for reforms within teacher unions. Um, if we do that, the teacher union is going to go, uh-oh, maybe we went too far. Maybe we're getting the parents in the community pissed off. I think that's a great target, to be honest. 
that would be an excellent target to to be totally honest as well because they know they went too far and you have to hit them where it hurts just like governor DeSantis hit disney where it hurts how many of us realize that disney was able to govern themselves since 19 what 67 under what well, who was that lyndon b johnson you know and that's what makes me think they what we're dealing with is people that had a long-term agenda. But with these children, we should, anyone that needs a, an accreditation, we definitely should go after them for these accreditations. And we ha- we cannot be afraid. We cannot be afraid to do the things that's necessary to make them financially hit, to fill the financial powers. Because you have to remember, just think about history. Think about why was the Buscots in the 60s so successful? Because they financially crippled them is why. And that's what our strategy has to be. Who do we target to financially cripple, to financially cripple to stop with the CRT and the NEA? And I'm sure there's a host of other ones that we can target as well under those same uh, guidelines. Oh, yeah, the Department of Education, the CIA, the FBI. You don't you don't need to get rid of them. You need to pare them down and bring them back to their core purpose, what they were originally intended to do. The FBI was to investigate federal crimes domestically. The CIA was to handle internationally, and they should never come and place their foot within the FBI's territory. But the, blur, the lines are blurred now. You've got the FBI doing investigations overseas instead of doing investigations domestically. You've got the CIA doing investigations here instead of doing investigations overseas. It is an upside-down government and world that we're in right now. But we need people like you and Kathy Barnett to get to D.C. to start taking our republic back. Oh, my goodness. But it looks like um, someone finally has gotten the hint that uh, they're starting to go after uh, GOP is finally going after the Democratic territories. So they're starting to reach out mm-hmm. into other uh, districts and saying, well, this is traditionally blue. Let's get an inroad here. So that's good. That is, I think, something yes. that's very good. But, uh, well, yeah. I'm happy that more females are getting involved in politics because uh, maybe they can show these guys how to grow a pair. Because they don't have that or a backbone. So let the women take over. Move over, Rover. Let I Annie have or, to or agree look. with them. <laughs> yes. Because you know what? The women, you know, even in the homes, everybody realizes who takes care of the home in the, the homes. It's usually the women. We take care of the children. We take care of the finances. We take care of everything to make it go. And that is why we have to take a stand now because these are our children. These are our grandchildren. These are our spouses. You know, when they, and the structure was to break down the family. When they broke down the family, they broke down the the place of the man in the home. But we as women have to build our families back up. We have to continue to build our children back up. And God knows we have to fight for these kids with this CRT and the practice of hate and teaching hate because that's what CRT does. It teaches hate. And on my watch, I'm not having it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You know, it is no time for us. Um, this is a battlefield for us. And there were very a whole lot of women in the Bible that fought. 
There were a lot of women that literally were political women in the Bible that fought. We hear about Queen Esther all the time. We, I mean, we hear about, and just think about this. Who was with Jesus? Who stood with Jesus when everybody left? It was Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene. The two women didn't have any fear because they knew what was done was wrong. And I think that's how my, I can't speak for other women, but I know that's how I feel. I feel that this is wrong. And if I don't stand up and fight, who's going to fight for us? Who's going to fight for our children? Who's going to help clean Washington up? We don't need a Nancy Pelosi or, you know, people that's been there entirely too long and making money over money over money while our kids are still being shot up. Then think about the illegals coming into this country. You know where they go? They go to the poorest communities to live. And this is what we see. Someone says, well, what about all these guns? Guns have always been here. The increase is in drugs. The increase is in them bringing them over the border. And these people are not just Mexicans or Hispanics. They're coming from all over the world to come into this country. The the funny part is, is that if you're coming in legally, you have to prove your vaccination. But if you're coming in illegally, you don't. You just have to say whether or not you had it, and we're going to trust you on that. Do you see a problem with this? There's a major problem with this, considering my husband came on the last Liberty flight into this country. He's a Cuban. He's a black Cuban. His mom was a dentist, but they had to be sponsored when they came here. That means somebody was accountable for them as an entire family and could financially be able to take care of them as well. You know, everything from the past was not bad. It was not. We just have to correct the problems of the past uh, and make them better as well. Because I'm going to tell you something we definitely need to do. We definitely need to begin to, once I get to Congress, we need to increase the, we need to definitely increase the um, ICE agents as well. We have to increase the ICE agents to start cleaning up this country because we have a lot of work to do, a whole lot of work to do. We do. And matter of fact, my late husband, same thing. When they came over on the plane in 1961, they had to have a sponsor. They had to have a place to live. They had to have a job. You could not be dependent on the government for a minimum of five years. But now we've got illegals coming over, and as soon as they come over, we give them a phone. We give them food. We give them clothing. We give them debit cards. We put them on buses. We put them on planes and fly them to wherever their heart desires. But they don't need to wear masks on the plane. We did. They didn't. The hypocrisy of this administration is astounding. And you wonder who is the one that is in control, because you know it's not crazy Uncle Joe. No, it is not. I don't know. They think it's number 44 that's in control. I don't know if it's him, because I talk to a lot of other people, and they feel as though because of the relationships that China has now, they bring everything into this country. You know, do we put CCP apart? You know, do we just forget about those folks that they have always had a place and their goal has always to be to come inside of America and literally take it over? You take over our government, you take over this country. That is true. That is very, very true. Now, there is, I know you only have a few moments left, and there is a bill that's trying to make its way through the House, which deals with um, equity 
on the uh, social platforms. And what it does in, in effect, it says basically, um, it's, I think it's called the Innovation and Something or Other Act, uh, that someone like Amazon has to level the playing field, and if there's a merchant that goes on there, everyone has to be treated exactly the same, which means Amazon cannot put their items first that they're offering. They cannot put up there that they're offering free shipment through Prime. They can't do that because then it would steer people more towards Amazon or Amazon-preferred sellers. What happened to the free market? When did equity overtake the free market capitalism? When the Biden administration stole the election from President Trump is when it took over. That's when this took over because, you know what, whether anybody likes it or not, at the end of the day, that is what has happened in this country. They are implementing so much uh, foolishness in reference to uh, we don't have capitalism capitalism anymore in this country under this administration. They want a socialist agenda, and it's right before our very eyes. We cannot deny it. We know what socialism. See, the part that scares me the most, Annie, about this is that our children, the young people don't have a clue as to what socialism looks like because they've never experienced it, ever, not in America. But a lot of other people have experienced it because this is the same playbook that Castro had. The same thing he told them, oh, we're going to have a democracy. And that comes back to educating people again on what America is. We, we've always been a capitalist country. Most of our families became successful because they had the opportunity, the opportunity, because that's what America is, the land of opportunity to come here to work very hard for what you get, to work hard, to build from nothing to something. My grandfather had, in Detroit, Michigan, where I'm originally from, a third-grade education, and he built, I will honestly say, a real estate dynasty to a certain degree. And I say that because when he died, he was able to leave hundreds of homes, hundreds of homes that he had purchased. You know, these are American stories. These are stories that a lot of people don't hear about, Not especially from black America. People don't know the history of this country, and that's where the confusion comes in. And if you think about what we're talking about, as long as the devil's work is nothing more than confusion, if you confuse the people with what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, and they cannot identify, then it makes it an easier job for them to do exactly what they're doing. And that's why these kids, that's why I focus so much on them, because they are totally confused. Well, Latresa, people can find you on Facebook. Your name, Latresa Jones. You're running for Florida District. As, at this point, it's District 11. We'll find out uh, what you'll end up with uh, once the uh, redistricting maps are published. But we wish you good luck. And plus, they can go to givesendgo.com, L.A. Jones, uh, to help donate to your campaign. Good luck, and we welcome you back anytime. And thank you, Annie, and thank you to my friend C.S. Bennett for All having right. me. And keep publishing those great books as well. I really appreciate yeah. it. Please reach out to me. Send me information that you may see that I don't see because I'll tell you, my focus right now is 100. No, it's 2,000% on this campaign because we have to make 
We have to take our country back. And God's blessings to you all, and thank you so much. All right. Thank you so thank much. You. All right, Latresa Jones, check her out and help her with her campaign. We've got Mark Tapscott returning to our, our program today. And I just want to mention the act that I was thinking of was the Senate Act 2992, which is the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. So write to your senators. There's a companion bill also in the House. Write to your senators and to your representatives. Tell them to kill this thing, because if they don't kill it, it's going to kill small business. And the little guys, are, and small business being the largest employer here in the United States, you think you had a problem with no jobs under uh, COVID? Whoa, wait until this gets kicked in. Well, good afternoon, Mark. How was your Easter? Well, my Easter was great, Ann. How about yours? It was very, very nice. Uh, our neighbors came with us to brunch uh, with her daughter and grandkids. And I sat my mom at the head of the table, and she was like the queen bee. <laughs> she oh, was good. in her that's glory. <laughs> so, well, we, we had um, a house full of family, and it was chaos, and that's what housefuls of family are supposed to be, I guess. <laughs> you you yeah, may well, notice that my, my voice is a little bit crackly. I'm, I'm battling a, a chest infection, so. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm a, well, I'm, I have a little bit of a frog voice today. You sound sexy. Don't worry. Tell your wife that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, this hit the uh, news today, and it's got a lot of the people on the left crying in their, in their coffee. CNN Plus put out, I think, something like $3 million in this launch uh, of CNN Plus, and it crashed. I mean, it, it Three weeks, and now they say they're going to close it down. How is it that here we've got mainstream media that is highly liberal, that is pushing the agenda, that has affected the 2020 elections, can't even get 10,000 viewers to CNN Plus with top names in the lineup? Do you think the nation's waking up here, Mark? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Ann, from, from what I have read and have, have, have observed and been told, um, I think the, the $300 million that CNN reportedly spent uh, putting together and then promoting CNN Plus is going to go down in the, in the business schools as a classic study of how not to do it. <laughs> I mean, they rushed it. They put up. It, it appears from the programming that that I've seen, they really didn't do a whole lot of thought about, certainly not any creative thought about what kind of programming they were going to offer because it was just warmed over CNN stuff. And they're having trouble getting people to watch CNN for free. So I don't know why they thought you know people would be willing to pay for what they're not watching for free. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's it's really a <clears throat> it's a puzzler to me because I you know you would think they're all liberals but they're in the media business so they must know something about it but um, and I think you're pointing to the fundamental problem it's not management incompetence it's the fact that they are just so out of touch with the average American uh, they don't relate to us. Well, I, I had to get a kick out of it because they said over three weeks they could only get somewhere around 10,000 subscribers. And when I check with one of the outlets that carries my show, 
uh, one three-hour segment of just my show can garner anywhere from 35 to 53,000 people, which blows my mind. Sure. Absolutely yeah, blows my funny. mind. The, inter- the internet's and, a I wonderful mean, thing, Anne. I mean, I, I always said I'm just a nobody, you know. No one knows who I am, but all of a sudden now, out of the blue, and I says I get more viewers than the entire CNN Plus. <laughs> that yeah. that that must hurt. That must hurt a lot. <laughs> and I'm just well, little just, old me. Just, just think, if you're Chris Wallace, who had a great career at Fox News, and he left it to go to CNN Plus, and three weeks later, it's gone up in flames. Well, I have to admit, I turned off Chris Wallace a number of years ago. There's just certain people. I said, nope, nope, nope. All right. I can see you on you know, both sides, but this guy's just going a little bit too far. He's not his father, that's for sure. Um, yeah. Well, talk, talking about one of the articles you have up on the Epic Times, just so that people know, Mark Tapscott is the D.C. correspondent for the uh, Epoch Times, or Epic Times, um, also the founder of Hill Faith. Your article, you were talking about the CRT-based training on the National Credit Union Administration. And we were discussing this with Latresa about it because uh, she had it where one of her bank accounts was closed because of her political affiliation. Shouldn't this make people very, very scared? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, There's got to be, if there's not now, there soon will be um, some litigation that, that will present the issue to the courts of whether or not a financial institution can make a financial decision on the basis of political considerations. And my guess is the courts are going to say, are you kidding? (laughs) You can't do that because that that impinges on First Amendment rights. So um, the National Credit Union Administration is one of those federal agencies that nobody ever hears about, doesn't think about because it's, it's... pretty obscure, and it's not real big, but it does have tremendous influence because it regulates the way the credit union industry functions, and the Judicial Watch actually obtained the documents that I reported on um, that show um, the guy that President Biden sent over there the first week he was in the Oval Office, a guy named Todd Harper. Apparently, the first thing he did is say, you know, look, guys, we're going to start requiring everybody around here to become conversant in critical race theory and make decisions based on critical race theory and not merely make decisions here at the office on the basis of critical race theory, but they also have um, laid the groundwork for um, extending that influence into the personal lives of uh, National Credit Union association or administration employees and that to me is really worrisome because it suggests that the government is thinking in terms of um, you know you don't just give us eight hours a day at the office you are responsible to us for 24 hours a day and that's the essence of totalitarianism yeah i it's very very scary so i've been telling people get your money out of the big banks and get them out of the credit unions and go to the state banks where you have more control over it. Well, but, even the state banks um, are subject in, in a lot of respects. I'm, I'm not an expert in the financial industry, believe me, and I don't claim to be. But I know that the state banks, uh, they do have to conform to a, 
a great deal of federal regulation, some of which comes from the National Credit Union Administration, uh, because banks have to deal with credit unions all the time. Uh, so, you know, it's a small, obscure agency, but uh, the liberals are great at taking these small, obscure, little agencies and turning them into uh, power centers in terms of regulation, and that that seems to be what they're doing here. Well, you know, hey, Mark. Yes, Curtis. How you doing? Okay. All right. I just had a quick question. Do you think large corporations corporations are taking notice of um, um, what Elon Musk and um, Governor Ron DeSantis is doing as far as taking on other corporations, say like um, in Florida, Disney? Do you think they are starting to rethink their strategies and you know I their wokeness? Curtis, they are. Um, Every every major corporation in this country, uh, when they decide, well, we we really need to build a new facility in, let's just say Oklahoma for uh, discussion purposes. When they then make that decision, they go to the Oklahoma uh, governor and the Oklahoma legislature, and they say, hey, what kind of incentives can you give us to come build and bring all these new jobs to Oklahoma? And you know the state officials. They do. They come up with special provisions for them. And that that acts as an incentive to get the companies to, to build there and to, and to bring jobs to the state. But it also, and this is just beginning to dawn, I think, on a lot of state Republican officials, it also gives them a tremendous amount of leverage, uh, as Ron DeSantis has just perfectly illustrated. Disney probably had the, the greatest the best special deal that any state could ever give to a to a private corporation, a public corporation like Disney. And they benefited from it for years and years and years, and now it's become a problem for them. That could happen to every major corporation in this country. Yeah, yeah, and, and now the, the uh, Florida House has said, let's yank the certification of the Reedy Creek uh, project. Disney, uh-oh, no, no, that property is now going to be controlled and policed and educated by the state of Florida. That, I love that. I love that. I love that also. But you were talking about you know, these agencies that are used to bludgeon, you know, those of us that are conservative. Heaven forbid you're a Tea Party. Shades of the IRS going after the Tea Party back in 2010 through 12. And actually did yep. affect the ability of us to to become uh, more powerful, uh, more vocal, uh, going after auditing. So now, what are they doing? You again, an excellent article up in the Epic Times about boosting the law enforcement arm of the IRS. But oh, hey, you know, you file your taxes, and we're on a huge backlog. We'll get around to them eventually, probably in the next five years. But in the interim. We're sending the IRS cops out there to audit you. I was dumbfounded when I came across those, those uh, statistics about the IRS is, is, I believe it was five times more likely to audit a low-income person yeah. than, some, than any other income bracket. Um, I mean, good Lord, even if, even if they caught every penny that every low-income person failed to report, 
it's not going to be that much money. So why are they doing that? My guess is they avoid, they, they are reluctant to go after uh, the higher income bracket returns because they're more complicated and it's not unusual for the, uh, the person filing it to know the tax laws as, be, as good or better than the IRS people do. So, you know, it just, it, it's a perfect illustration of big government having its, its priorities backwards. Uh, you would think that they would be most interested in finding and catching and stopping the, the worst tax evasion, and instead they go after the easiest tax evasion. Well, you know, it's also a statistics number game because that way they can go before Congress. Well, we need more uh, funding because we ended up auditing X amount of records and a percentage of those that we've got are tax sheets that we were able to collect money on are X amount percentage. So the higher the percentage and statistics look on their side, the more Congress is going to give them money to go after Tea Party or any other conservative group out there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's – that's the reality in Washington, D.C. Sleep tight tonight, folks. Your government is at work. <laughs> yeah. Ronald Reagan, the wor- world's worst words to hear. I'm from the government. And I'm here to help you. Oh, yeah? Exactly. Let me just bend over backwards and just kiss my sweet patootie goodbye right here and right now. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, here we are. We're, we're revving up for a crimson tide coming at this midterm election and then moving into the 2024. So what do we have Republicans doing? Adding pork barrel projects to the continuing resolution. I mean, 5,000 of these earmarks in the continuing (laughs) resolution? Are they nuts? No, they're politicians, and they like to be able to hand out goodies and uh, frankly, it amazes me that they went 10 years without having earmarks. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't bring earmarks back sooner than they did. Um, I, I suspect that you're not going to hear a whole lot more about earmarks for a while until uh, – because, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that the congressman um, – you know, they, they they understand if I really go after some really outrageous project with tax dollars and the press gets a hold of it, especially the conservative press, it's going to bring back uh, public uh, disgust with, you know, the bridges, bridge to nowhere kind of issue. So I suspect they've been very careful about what they've asked for this time. Next year, they'll probably come a little more... Uh, less careful, and the year after that, probably in 24, uh, I won't be surprised at all to find that um, the uh, earmarks are just as bad as they used to be. You know, what I love is that uh, Richard Shelby, Alabama, was the highest ranking with the earmarks, 5.5, I'm sorry, $545 million. And next in line is my dear, sweet senator that I have gone nose-to-nose and toe-to-toe with. And trust me, Mark, you know how short he is. That's exactly how tall I am, 5'3". And we're literally there, nose-to-nose, toe-to-toe. You know me, I don't back down, is Lainsey Gramnesty. 
He just got himself reelected. So what does he care? He doesn't have to go up for a reelection for another four years. He doesn't have to start campaigning for another four years. But then he can turn around and say, well, I brought all this here to our our state. I got all these beautiful things for our state. Yeah, like the road to nowhere. Yeah. Well, you know, and the the problem with earmarks, yes, it's it's outrageous that they they use earmarks to uh, award reward political donors, campaign donors, family members, and so forth. But what really is the worst thing about earmarks is, as Senator Tom Coburn, uh, one of my heroes from Oklahoma, he called earmarks the gateway drug to federal spending addiction. And that's exactly what it is, because if you have earmarks to trade back and forth, then it becomes a situation where Congressman A says, look, if you support me on this, I'll support you on that. I don't like what you're doing over there, but I want your support on what I'm doing here. So, you know, it becomes um, – corruption becomes the, um, the, the, the way that you get things done, and that's, that's not good. That leads down a path of uh, no return. You can call it political crack. They're on crack. Basically. Yeah, you know, let's just say exactly it's it. it just past the pipe. <laughs> Here, have a hit, have a hit. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, what there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and you write about this again. This is just came out a couple of days ago about the a bill to repair, repair, repeal the NEA's federal charter. And you know, I found that pretty interesting because I was not aware that they were also donating to political causes. Since when does government decide uh, what political candidate to support? I mean, really? Well, what, what you've got here, you're talking about the National Education Association, the, right. the biggest union in the country. I, I didn't know it before I read this bill. Um, the National Education Association was given – in 1906, a congressional charter to set it up, and the purpose was, of course, to advance the interest of the teaching profession. didn't say anything about raising millions and millions and millions of dollars to give to Democratic candidates, but that's what it became. And Congressman Scott Fitzgerald from Wisconsin has introduced a bill that would take that charter away from the NEA which wouldn't change its legal status as a union. The IRS recognizes the NEA as a union. But what it might do uh, is light a match, if you will. Uh, There are a lot of folks, a lot of teachers, still great teachers, who they're not in the schools to indoctrinate kids. They're there to teach kids. And it just might be that Jerking this charter will be the first step towards uh, encouraging the kind of internal reforms that would uh, turn the NEA back into what it was supposed to be from the beginning, which is a professional association. Yeah, I mean, it's like the Chamber of Commerce saying, "Well, I'm going to back." Well, they do. I'm going to back that candidate. Well, wait a minute. I'm I'm paying my dues to the Chamber of Commerce. So you help support my business, so I want to bring customers in. I don't care with their political affiliation or their religious affiliation. I just want to fill my business. 
Well, these teachers yeah. just want to fill the seats and teach these kids the ABCs, not the CRTs, not the LBGTQXYZ. Yeah. You know, teach them how to read, how to write, how to add, how to subtract, how to become a responsible individual so that you can go out and get a job that is, gives you prosperity so you can have a family and everything and have that house with the white picket fence. But no, 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 no. Yeah. And instead, you, you, you divide the people in order to get funding and whatever else quirks that you want. Now, um, you were writing that uh, the GOP is finally, finally trying to make inroads into deeply blue areas. What took them so long and what the heck are they really going to do about it? What a great question, Ann. <laughs> That's exactly the question. Why? Why did it take so long? Um, I, I suspect that um, <clears throat> there, there's two things going on there. Number one, Biden is just so incredibly unpopular. Um, you know, I almost feel sorry for the man because he just can't seem to do anything right. Um, at least as far as public opinion polls go. Um, so there's that on the one hand. And then on the other hand, uh, as Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida, has demonstrated with his response to Disney, uh, I think a lot of Republicans are beginning to realize, hey, you know, we've been Mr. Nice Guy for all these decades, and look what it got us. We need to get as tough in politics as the Democrats have been against us for all these many years. And there's a lot of Americans that, you know, they're tired of Republicans who talk the talk but don't walk it, don't really actually go the extra mile that's required to get the kind of reforms that most Americans want. Uh, and that's not a partisan thing. You know, we all, like you just said, uh, most people want to have the kind of life that America has, has been known for for so long. We're losing well, that, and people are worried about it. Now, what the heck is the Congressional Leadership Fund, and what is the, Trailbla- the, 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 the Trailblazers Fund? Well, the Congressional Leadership Fund is, is House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's. Um, it's a super PAC that is aligned with him. Um, they basically provide campaign contributions to Republicans, trailblazers they call them, who are running in districts that uh, in a, in a quote-unquote normal campaign year would be considered uh, they wouldn't have much of a chance of doing anything. But because of Biden's unpopularity and because of the Democratic parties, um, you know, being associated with open borders, the Afghanistan disaster, uh, and so many other things that people don't like, um, you know, you've got these districts now that were once safe Democratic districts are up in the air and could very well go Republican. So Congressional Leadership Fund provides some campaign help to those folks that are running in those districts. And, um, you know, both parties do that kind of thing. It just it's, it varies from one election campaign to the next, who's doing what where. Mm. Well, I'm glad to see them starting to do something. That, that's for, for dang sure. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of great candidates out there, and, for the longest time, they were not getting the help that they need to win those districts back. I mean, here in South Carolina uh, District One, we have been fighting, and I mean, this is this is this is red hot. 
I had uh, Katie Arrington and uh, Lindsay Piper Lomas, the two top runners against Nancy Mace going into the primary uh, at the same time in my Tea Party meeting. And I'm telling you, Mark, I, I would get maybe 15, 20 people. The place was packed. I think I counted more than 40. And I, I'm just one little group. But our county GOP and the other organizations, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. They're getting the candidates out there. They're doing the debates. They're getting them. And this is going to be a crimson tide. I do honestly do believe. Well, you know, a lot can happen between now and November. But I don't see any reason now to think that you could be wrong. I think it will be good. And, and, you know, people ought to be glad about that because the more – most Americans, the more Americans are actively involved in the political process, that's good for all of us um, because more awareness is going to contribute to a better outcome in the long run. Apathy is, yeah. you know, the, the greatest enemy of democracy. Well, yeah, I'm going to switch a little bit because uh, we're going to be talking about COVID with the Heritage guests a little bit later on. But um, the FAA said, well, you don't need to wear the masks. You know, the CDC is saying uh, we're lowering the codes because it's like four different codes uh, for different countries. Like one is the most infectious for COVID. And then it's like one, two, three and four. So they said no more countries in code number four. Uh, so now we're downgrading it. So they're saying, well, feel comfortable. COVID is going to be around for the rest of the, the, the existence of the, the planet Earth. So we're just going to have to live with it. But Philadelphia puts the mask mandate back on, and when the people got really ticked off, they kind of like backed off. Where are we going with COVID? Are we coming back to normality, or is this going to be a new norm where every once in a while they give you a little tease and say, okay, no more mask mandates, and then new outbreak, lockdown, once again? Well, I think you just just described, Anna the way that uh, people like Dr. Fauci would like for it to be. Uh, You know, they give you a little taste and then they jerk it back. Uh, But with with the FAA and and the mask in the airplanes, I don't know if you you probably saw the videos of uh, the stewardesses announcing it in flight that people could take their mask off and everybody's cheering. So, uh, you know, I'd hate to be, I'd hate to be the stewardess that has to say to them, Put the mask back on because I think everybody's just basically going to say, you know, um, <laughs> you. go do something <laughs> bad to yourself. Yeah, because I, I was watching one video and there was this uh, male steward uh, and he was actually singing. He had like a gospel type voice and, and the people were just cheering. But talk about singing on the planes. Um, was it Ilian Omar complained because there was a Christian group? Singing, playing, and she was offended. Oh I my god! I've not heard that. Yeah, I've not heard that, but I can't say that this surprises me. <laughs> well, do you, what articles do you have coming up on in the Epic Times, and uh, where can people find you? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm working on a story today, another story on the NEA. I got uh, a copy of their. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm I'm really losing my voice now. Um, they have to file a what's called an LM2 form every year with the Department of Labor that basically says, here's how much money we received and here's how we spent it. 
and that includes the salaries of all the people that work at the NEA. And probably on Monday we're going to have a story out that uh, I think a lot of people who are uh, rank-and-file members of the NEA are going to say, wait a minute, I didn't know they were paying all those people all that money. Um, maybe another one of these things that uh, strikes a match to uh, force some reforms. Yeah, it, it reminds me of um, back in the early 90s, a lot of these charities were finally exposed uh, where the uh, CEOs or the chairs of the charities were actually buying gold toilet seats for their mansions uh, instead yeah, of using the that. funds. Uh, yeah, so I, I think you're going to end up with some sort of a scandal like that. Is that what we're maybe looking at? Well, it, it goes, I mean, this is um, when you have – uh, one of every five employees making twice as much as the national teacher's average salary, uh, something's not right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what you'll see on Monday. All right. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for joining us, and I look forward to reading the article come Monday because, you know, I get it delivered to my mailbox, but I also get it on my inbox. And people can go to the Epic Times dot com and check out Mark Tapscott and all the other excellent, excellent uh, contributors there. Many of them uh, are friends of mine. I come to find. I look, go, open it up and go, hey, there goes Gordon Chang. Oh, oh hey, there goes you know this person, that person. <laughs> so, great, great stuff. Thank you so much. Okay, Annie. Thanks for having me on. All right, and God bless. All right, check out Mark Tapscott at theepictimes.com. I'm telling you, they've got great articles and everything up there, and uh, it's one of the go-to places I go to find out what's going on. Uh, and Curtis is right now trying to get our next guest in on the line, and hopefully he'll be with us very shortly, because our next guest lined up is Nathan Lewis, and he is the co-author with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames on inflation. So hopefully Curtis has him now in on the line. Um I'm sure a lot of you have, last time we were here, um, before Easter, we had uh, Jeff Cruer of the right side, also ringside politics, and actually he had called me and said, I need you to co-host with me for half an hour for this guest, and uh, I did, and so check it out. It's up on um, their uh, uh Oh, Jesus. Uh, Jeff Carrera's website. There should be a link up to it. I'm going to turn around and take that interview that we did as I co-host with him because it was really, really fantastic. And I will put it up uh, on the social networks as well as my website. And we have here – well, that's funny because – all right, Curtis, do we have – all right, looks like we do. And do we have Nathan Lewis with us? I'm here. Ah, hi. How are you doing today? Hi. Hi, Anne. You co-authored with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames an excellent book that explains inflation and debunked a lot of the uh, mysteries or myths that the media and our government have been handing us called inflation, what it is, and why it's bad, and how to fix it. And uh, I've got your... I've got the book right in front of here, and I'm going to put it up before the camera because people see that I actually do read this, and I have it full of little Post-it notes. (laughs) 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 But I'm telling you, this should be a school book. This is what kids should be learning. It used to be they would teach you when you hit high school or something like that, economy. 
and they would give you economy marketing, and you would learn how the free market worked. But our government has been giving us so many lies, people truly do not understand what inflation is and that any form of inflation is bad. Uh, exactly. Um, people today, they tend to say, oh, just let the experts take care of it. And uh, unfortunately, if they, <laughs> a lot of times the experts themselves don't do a very good job or, or they you know, make a mess of things. Um, it's important for regular people to understand how their money works. All right. And now, in the book, you suggest that they, we actually retire the word inflation um, because we do find that the media and the politicians have a way of twisting the true meaning of a word. So what, what exactly is inflation and what types of inflation are out there? Uh, exactly. Um, this word inflation kind of gets sprayed around like a fire hose to apply to everything and anything. And it has something to do with rising prices. And it's important for you know, people to understand, just kind of regular people who go to the supermarket or whatever and wonder what the heck's going on. Um, in the book, and we separate these influences on prices into basically two categories. One is the sort of supply-demand stuff that you, you know, maybe you've learned about in college. Uh, this is you know, the supply chain shortages and, and, and so forth. And that and that is real, and that is and that today that is really happening, um, and probably I would guess roughly half of the over eight percent CPI readings we've been seeing recently is actually due to these supply demand kind of things. And then we have another category which we call the monetary stuff, the monetary types of inflation, and this really has nothing to do with supply and demand. This is just the central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve in our case, and. What's going on? Well, basically, it's really easy to understand. We have a floating fiat currency. The value of the currency goes up and down. We don't really think about it that way. But if it, we can see that happens to everyone else's currency. Uh, uh, but when the value of the dollar declines, and I think we had a substantial decline around 2020 when central banks got very busy during COVID, when the value of the dollar declines, and after that, there's an adjustment process that goes to the economy. All the prices rise to, uh, to adjust this new currency value. Well, you know, um, I'm, you talk about Richard Nixon, and I remember mm -hmm. when he took us off the gold standard. It goes to show my age, and I remember the adults in the room, and the one thing that I kept on hearing is that before he does this, buy gold, buy gold now. And, you know, I, I didn't understand, because in, in the book, all of a sudden I'm dawned on me, and it's like, you know, how stupid was I? I understood the time, but never quite clicked into the mind. You know, it kind of like slipped a few cogs. But if you think about it today, you hold a dollar in your hand, all right? And then at that point, the gold was tied to the dollar. So it was $35 for an ounce of gold equals, you know, your dollar, you know? So now exactly, you have that, that cash. You have the cash in your hand, but you don't have the gold. So the gold will go up in value, or so they claim. It's still the same gold. There's no change in it whatsoever, but that dollar, the value on that, decreases. So the people that were buying gold actually were smart because they still had the full value of the original dollar in that unit of gold. Exactly. Um, 
gold is kind of is, has a very special role in, in human affairs. People say gold is money. Uh, well, what does that mean? We don't really buy groceries with gold these days. But it has a, a special character. It's basically pretty stable in value, and that's why for hundreds of years before 1971, all the major countries in the world based their money on gold. Not because it's yellow and shiny and that sort of thing, but it had this very important quality. If you link the value of your currency to gold, then your currency would be stable in value. And as long as we stuck with that principle in United States history, almost 200 years before 1971, we never had an inflation problem. And then we left the principle, 1971, and poof, inflation appeared immediately. Now, if you think about that, you just mentioned $35 an ounce. What? You know, uh, the gold hasn't changed. It's still pretty much, I would argue, the same value as it was in the 60s. So why is it $1,900 today? Uh, and that, what that means by implication is that the value of the dollar today is actually about one-fiftieth of what it was worth in the 1960s. We have, basically have a two-cent dollar, and that's why you know, a barrel of oil used to be 3 bucks in the 1960s. Now we're up over 100 You know, It makes sense. Oil is not much more valuable. The dollar has declined in value. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, my parents pulling into the gas station, and you're paying, oh, 25 cents, 35 cents a gallon. And by the time I was driving, it was 65 cents a gallon, which meant it almost doubled between the, to- the time I, before I graduated high school to the time I got my license, which was, back then was pretty short. But in today's market, with the fiat money we have, I mean, I went to put gas in the car, and here in South Carolina, it was three eighty-six a gallon. I mean, before Trump left office, I was paying a dollar sixty-nine. So now it's well over two dollars <laughs> a gallon in just two years. That's freaky, and people are accepting it. That's the worst part. Uh, yeah, um, and we, we always talk about gasoline prices because that's, that's something that everyone relates to. You know, Actually, prices all across the board are going up, but it's harder to have a conversation about you know chicken breasts and, and uh, Cheerios and milk. and you know, <laughs> We don't relate with these things uh, as directly. But exactly, so in the 1970s, in my estimate, the value of the dollar probably declined by about 90%. Ten to one decline, the value of the dollar in the 1980s was about one-tenth of what it was worth in the 1960s. And during that time, uh, they, did, they didn't blame the Federal Reserve. They didn't blame you know, these monetary effects. They blamed everything else, right? They, th- they thought they were running out of everything. It was actually a, a Newsweek headline at the time in 1973. It's very famous. Um, it's a little different today because we actually do have supply-demand issues. We're not quite running out, but we have empty store shelves because of you know, shipping and this sort of thing. So we're in a little bit of danger of blaming the Fed too much uh, for the inflation. And they are, even right now, could potentially take a much harsher reaction than is really warranted. Um, So this is, again, why why we want to separate people's heads. We actually have two things going on right now. Nathan, isn't it true that there's some people who, I mean, they make it a – 2.5 2.5 or 3% pay raise, but it really doesn't mean a lot if um, inflation is like 8 or 9%. Is that true or what? Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, if you just think about it, it's real obvious when it happens to someone else. When, when we, uh, maybe you take a trip, you know, vacation to Cancun, Mexico, and you went, uh, you know, 
some years ago and you got five pesos for the dollar and you go recently and it's 20 pesos to the dollar and and you think you know the peso has fallen in value a lot it must be not much fun to be a, a mexican worker who's paid in pesos because the value of your currency is obviously falling right went from five to twenty it's only a five you know five yeah, five cent peso 20 pesos to the dollar uh, and it's real obvious when it happens to Mexicans, but it's not so obvious when it happens to us. When our currency falls in value, and I suggest the current dollar today is only worth a fiftieth of what it was worth in the '60s, then you have to get pay raises just to get back to even, right? Uh, and so there's a there's a couple problems there because even if you're successful, even if you got enough pay raises to make up for the decline in currency value, it took a lot of time. Maybe it took you 10 years to get back to even, and so. You could have spent those 10 years getting wealthy. Instead, you just kind of, you know, running on the treadmill. And this is part of the reason why it seems like it's been real difficult for the American middle class to get ahead over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Well, you know, there's so much to talk about in this book. And we have been – we've seen throughout history how governments would turn around and devalue the coins or the currency, whatever it is, uh, in order to put mm-hmm. more of it out there. Now, we're doing the same thing. We've got this currency that we just keep on printing, but there's nothing to back it. So we're going the same path as Rome did, as Venezuela did. Are we looking for a crash real soon? Uh, that is important because as as bad, as mediocre as our history has been over since Richard Nixon in 1971, uh, actually the U.S. government hasn't, uh, for the most part, you know, printed money to fund the government. And we're getting into that now. That, that definitely was a big part of what happened in 2020. And if, if they kind of stop, they kind of stop now, I think they'll be okay. But, you know, it's very addictive. And we're almost getting into uh, people worrying about another recession already. Um, and if that happens, I mean, haven't we seen this movie before? Isn't isn't the Congress, you know, now we have a Democratic administration and Congress, aren't they going to have huge double-digit deficits in excess of 10% of GDP? And isn't there going to be a ton of pressure on the central bank, Federal Reserve, to help finance that deficit with money creation just like they did in 2020? Uh, this pattern of printing money to fund the government is, is exactly how we go from kind of, you know, background level radiation level inflation to just uh you know catastrophic outcomes yeah i could turn around and talk to you about this book for a full three hours because i'm telling people really do have (laughs) to read this to completely understand what's going on there because right now the federal reserve jerome powell is using this thing called modern monetary theory what the heck is that and why should we be scared yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say that, that Powell is using that right now, um, but that idea is definitely very popular in Washington because it amounts to, to uh, you know, amounts, amounts to printing money, and, and it's incredibly addictive to politicians, not just us, but if you look in history in France and so forth, this is what happens. And um, not not to get too much into some of the technical details, but there are some reasons why the central banks around the world have been able to get to be pretty expansionary since 2008, since that recession in 2008. They were able to take a pretty aggressive stance and actually create a fair amount of money 
and not have a lot of consequences. And to make a long story short, what happened was there was a big change in banking regulations after the crisis of 2008. And this is my interpretation. And banks were required to hold, hold a lot more cash, kind of like you, you might be required to you – know, it, it's, it's the banking equivalent of having a shoebox full of $20 bills. It's actually a, 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 an account at the Federal Reserve. And so this new banking regulation uh, absorbed a lot of this money. So it seemed like they got away with it. They thought, can we just print money and get away with it? The thing is uh, that regulatory requirement is now completely filled, completely fulfilled. And they didn't reach that point until basically like early 2021. So they look at this and they say, well, it seems like we can just get away with this. Yeah, you, you were able to do that because of this new banking regulation. That's over. That's the end of the line, it seems to us. And if they try it again, it could be there's, – there's sort of like no place for the excess money to go. It could be – get real nasty. Wow. Wow. You know, because people say, well, you know, inflation's not that bad. Um, it, we also talk about the debt. And then when those of us are fighting the debt, it's like our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids will be stuck with it. Wait a minute. We're stuck with it right now, and you call it a stealth tax. Exactly what is that stealth tax? Um, well, inflation has been called a stealth tax because uh, it, it's not really a tax. I think that's a bit of a misnomer, but it's something that the government is, is doing that you – know, it, it's making, you, it's making you poor somewhat like a tax would instead of taking your money out in payroll taxes – you're getting paid in the currency of, of declining value, so the, you know, the value of your paycheck is, is, is less. And, um, and, so, and it's not always true. Actually, it wasn't true in the 1970s, but it has been true most in the last couple of years. But this has happened when the government you know, literally creates money out of nothing and then, and then spends it. Uh, <laughs> this, is, you know, this is incredibly fun, right, for politicians. Let's just buy votes, essentially, right, is what they're doing. Um, this is a new thing for the United States uh, and other governments around the world. We're in a new phase where now we have these very large debts. Now we have this bad habit of, of printing money. Um, and it, it, I think that uh, maybe in the last, next five or ten years we might reach a crisis. That's scary. That is very, very scary. You know, I, I was talking about fiat money, but a lot of listeners may not understand what fiat money exactly is and why yeah. we should really be worried about it. Because we may find that our dollar is no longer the, stand, the global standard. It might be the yen, or it might be something else. Uh, and that would spell disaster for our economy. Yeah. Um, so the, the basic idea of, of, of floating fiat currency is, is, well, just as we know, just as we can see with other people's currency, like I choose Mexico, but you could say Euro or South Korea or whatever, the value of the currency goes up and down, right? In the foreign exchange market, we can see it going up and down. Um, and that is true of the dollar as well. We have a floating fiat currency just like everybody else does. Uh, one good way to get an idea of what's going on with the dollar, we mentioned gold. For, for almost 200 years before 1971, the dollar was linked to gold. Uh, gold was our standard of, of value because it was not perfectly stable, but pretty reliably stable. It was something we could measure with. And if you compare the uh, dollar to gold today, it looks like gold, the price of gold is going up and down, right? But if you think of that, 
maybe it's the dollar going up and down and not gold. Maybe what you're looking at is really the fluctuation and value of the floating fiat dollar. I think it's probably, you know, let's say 90% that. And so when the, it takes more dollars to buy gold, that means the dollar is going down. Just as when it takes more Mexican pesos to buy dollars, went from 5 to 20, that means the peso is going down. So I, I would keep your eye on that. If we see gold go to, you know, 3,000, that probably means uh, not that gold is becoming more valuable, but that the dollar is becoming less valuable. Mm. And the whole thing is it's based upon the whim of the market. So whatever uh, is going on globally or nationally, you know, who gets elected, uh, where is there a war, where is there a it affects the speculation. So these speculators are are betting and hedging their, their bets and it's playing havoc with the value of our dollar. That's an important point, yes. And and I and I focus on that. Think of the value. Uh because although yes, creating lots of money can result in a lower value, it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact it wasn't that way in the nineteen seventies. In the nineteen seventies they were kind of confused because it, they weren't really creating a lot of money. They're kind of doing things the way they'd always done things, but the dollar was actually plummeting in value. And why is that? Well, once it starts going down and all the people who are supposed to be responsible with these, for these things are sitting around twiddling their thumbs and making excuses, what are you going to do? You're going to sell, right? <laughs> it, it, it can kind of become a snowball effect, and, and you see this, all, and this happens all the time. So that's why I say focus on the, on the value. Um, we could see... I think we're seeing this actually in Japan right now in the last couple of weeks. Uh, if it just looks like they're being irresponsible, you know, Federal Reserve, whatever, uh, that could set off a major kind of uh, um, move where the dollar's value could fall 50% and without any real you know, money creation or anything like that. Well, you know, a lot of people are turning around and saying, well, forget about the dollar. I'm going to put everything into a cryptocurrency and carry it on a debit card. <laughs> well, what's your right. advice? And uh, my, big my, yeah, well, my view is that cryptocurrencies are basically largely speculative football. Um, you, it, it, has, it has a certain amount of, of usefulness as a sort of trading object, uh, which is real, um, but mostly uh, it's, a, it's kind of a speculative football. Now, as, as I say, that the basic characteristics of gold and the basic characteristic you want of money, any kind of money, is that it's reliable, stable, and value, right? If you're going to make a 10-year contract, you're going to say, you know, pay me X amount of wages or, you know, buy a 10-year, get a 10-year bond or annuity or whatever, a pension fund, whatever it happens to be, you want to have, be pretty reliable value of the currency in five or ten years is going to be worth something, right? Well, Bitcoin and, and other cryptos like Bitcoin are completely opposite of that, right? <laughs> the, the value in five years might be ten times higher or it might be ten times lower, you know, 90% lower. We don't really know. So I, I, would, I would look at it that way. Might go up, might go down. I don't really know. Well, i got to tell you, um, before my husband passed away, you know, we had a discussion and it's like, well, we can't afford gold, but can, we can get silver. So we started, you know, buying silver coins. So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I have them. I've, I've got them locked away. So if I ever need to recoup my original dollar, I still have the original dollar in the coin, 
which I, I would recommend. Now, what about these NFTs? You hear about them all over the place. Exactly what are they, and are they worth investing in? No, these are um, – I well, you've been around a while. Uh, you might remember that. Oh, thanks. Uh, a girl during, likes to hear that. Thanks. <laughs> well, well, you mentioned that you remember, you remember Richard Nixon. So if you remember Richard Nixon, then you, then you definitely remember – the last time we had like a tech bubble or tech boom in the late 90s, and mm-hmm. and all these companies went up because of, you know there are, people are excited about the internet. It was kind of just invented, and, and there was all this potential and possibility. But those were real companies. Uh, they weren't making any money, but they were trying to make money. But sort of in in the environment of enthusiasm for these new entrepreneurial companies. There was also a big boom in Beanie Babies. Remember Beanie Babies? Oh yeah. <laughs> there were these oh, little, yeah. there Pet were these rocks. little stuffed toys. Yeah, there were these little stuffed toys that were they sold for about ten dollars at Toys R Us. Well, I guess that's gone now. But they sold t- ten bucks in, in a toy store, and but they had they came in you know hundreds of different varieties, and some of the varieties became very popular. And the and you know certain Beanie Baby, uh, they I think they they were selling on eBay because eBay was brand new, and they I think they reached prices of like thousands of dollars for this, you know, toy they bought in the store. Um, and, I, and NFTs are kind of like the beanie babies of, uh, of the present era, in my view. And um, they, they, some of them reached extraordinary prices. And they're even better than beanie babies because when you trade them, you don't even need eBay and pay fees. And, and uh, you know, it's that puts them in, in UPS and stuff. You can, you can do it all electronically. Um, I, I think art early prices <laughs> well you know you talk about uh switzerland and what they're doing right and what we're doing wrong um there is hope we can get ourselves out of that but what is switzerland doing and what should we be doing because this is also something that's in your book because you not only explain what inflation is and explain how we got here and explaining all these different things, but you say, all right, fine, we're at this point now. We can go down this road or we can go down that road. What is Switzerland doing right, and why can't we do that? Uh, well, one of the things about Switzerland is that they, they simply um, – we, we, we use it as an example of, of you can have an enormous supply of currency, but if there's a, a demand for it because you have – a lot of reliability, then your currency doesn't lose value. So, so Switzerland has has become, uh, uh, for a long time, um, a center not only of banking but as a currency alternative uh, because of its historical history of managing its affairs well. <laughs> you know, the population of Switzerland is like eight million people. It's this little thing. It's like uh, you know, it's smaller than Miami, um, but they've have a, like almost a business in, in banking and, and currency because they've been able to manage their affairs well. Um, ideally, we'll, we, we in the United States will also be able to, well, we did. Uh, we did manage our affairs well and became the world Switzerland, you know, the world's most popular currency. Um, but we're, it looks like we're, we're slipping away from that. We're slipping away from that, uh, that uh, role, if you will, uh, in the book, we we said, well, you know, okay, we got all these problems today. 
but how, you know, what is the long-term solution? Yeah, we can fix things. You know, we can kind of fix things over the next few months. But what's the long-term solution? And 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 we say that uh, you know we did this gold standard system for almost 200 years up until 1970. Became the wealthiest country in the history of the world because we didn't let our currency fall in value. Um, here we are today, dollars worth 150 at the what it was worth then. Five years from now, it might be worth 150 of what it's worth today. I'm not really sure. But uh, this is not a productive course of affairs. Um, maybe at some point. It's not political potential now, but we've got to go back to the system that worked, basically have a gold-based dollar. Well, yeah, because uh, prices of certain things just never simply increased. Why? Because of the cost to make that product or to provide that service didn't have to increase because the dollar was a dollar. You know, you got the full value of it. And yet we were able to produce such fantastic wealth. Uh, You talk about England with the Industrial Revolution, how they were able to explode. And we did the same thing. And uh, your book is fantastic. Uh, People can find it. There's a link to Endeavor Books. It's also up on Barnes and Nobles, Goodreads, and half a dozen other places. There's a link on the show page so people can go and check the book out. You wrote it with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames called Inflation, what it is, why it's bad, and how to fix it. And if anyone wanted to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Uh, I have a website myself of, of, on economic topics. It's at newworldeconomics.com. And there you also find some information on my other four books. I actually wrote three books on the gold standard system to do all the kind of, you know, foundational work that was necessary, I think, to, to be able to practically implement this. People kind of forgot how to do it. Uh, so if you're interested in that and all the gory details, it's on my website, newworldeconomics.com. Well, we welcome you back to the show anytime, Nathan. It has been a pleasure. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Check out Nathan Lewis and the book Inflation, along with Steve Forbes and Elizabeth Ames. We've got our final victim of the day, our Heritage Foundation victim. I want to welcome to the show uh, Doug Badger. Uh, he, if I can get my notes up here, and of course I've got the wrong notes up here. Let's see if I can not mess this up too badly. He is a senior fellow in the Center for Health and Welfare Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Oh, my goodness. Can we say the word COVID and not get banned? <laughs> oh man! I mean, I, I, I've got a stack. Matter of fact, I, I my uh, the, the, the safety pin, no paper clip, it got bent putting all of my notes together for you for today. Um, we, we're seeing our nation start to open up. Uh, the mask mandates have been dropped uh, on airplanes and other areas. Uh, Philadelphia put it back in place only to find out with the backlash they had to take it back off. Um, is it time now for us to completely open the nation? And sh- Curtis, what did you just do to me? Curtis just put my guest in. Oh, Curtis, you're just driving me crazy. No, 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 Curtis. All right, let's, let's just get this back. All right. Let's try that again. I apologize. My co-host got a little confused here. Curtis, we've got our guest here on the line with us. <laughs> so sorry about that, Doug. Not at all. It's live, it's live radio. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you just go with the flow. But is, is it really truly time to end this emergency and get our life back? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, uh, 
look, in April of 2020, uh, we were dealing with a very frightening situation. Patients were showing up at emergency rooms in severe respiratory distress with a disease no one had ever heard of, and the doctors didn't know how to treat. It's April 2022 now. Uh, more than 219 million people have been uh, fully vaccinated. Nearly 100 million have been boosted. CDC estimated that as of late January, 140 million people had acquired natural immunity uh, by recovering from the infection. And the FDA has authorized several oral antivirals, pills, that you get from the, from the drugstore. Uh, that have uh, an 88% effectiveness against serious illness from COVID. COVID is now a disease to which many of us have some level of immunity. It is now a treatable disease uh, with, these, with these new antivirals. It, it's, it's no longer an emergency. It's still an issue. But unfortunately, the public health authorities are not adapting their approach to this to the changing realities of, of, this, of this pandemic. You know, um, I've been following this all along because my doctor, he ended up with COVID. Uh, some of his staff ended up with COVID. Uh, my sister ended up with it along with her husband. And, you know, it... it I'm sure there's just about every single listener out there knows someone or knows of someone who had COVID in one form or another. And, you know, you do, you do fear for everyone, uh, but there are logical steps. And the second you say hydrochloroquine or, in, in, see, I can't even say it, impromectin, um, you see the medical community freak out you got a large portion that says yes this, these therapies work and then you have Fauci and everyone else saying no 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 and they're cutting off supplies to certain states because they're saying no you can't do that is that just to keep the panic yeah I think there's there's been a lot of uh, back and forth on that and I um, I don't have uh, the background to be able to tell you about ivermectin or um, or, or some of the other uh, some of the other uh, drugs out there, um, but I will say, for example, Paxlovid, which uh, the FDA uh, authorized back in uh, back in December uh, in randomized clinical trials, was found to be 88% effective in preventing severe illness, hospitalizations, and so forth, even among unvaccinated people. Um, the uh, Biden administration has ordered up billions of dollars worth of, of that drug. I mean, you always have issues. We had it certainly you know, with the vaccines where it takes a while to get the supply up. Um, but uh, the, 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 the drug is out there. And in fact, there are pharmacies where they have uh, someone with the ability to write prescriptions in the pharmacy, like where you go in and uh, to a, to a, one of these chain drugstores that has an urgent care clinic or a minute clinic. Um, you can walk in, get your COVID test. If you're positive, they send you home with the medicine. That's a five-day supply of pills. So um, there's a lot of um, – we just have a lot of options now 
that we didn't have two years ago or even one year ago. You know, it's funny because I woke up this morning, I was coughing a lot, my chest felt a little heavy, and I said, oh, no. So I reached into my little drawer, I pulled out the COVID test, I ran the test to me, came back negative. But, you know, we have that ability to do that now. I had to go up to MUSC for a doctor visit a couple of weeks ago, and I walk in wearing the shield because I can't medically wear a mask, and they refused, the doctor refused to see me. Less than 24 hours later, the CEO and chief surgeon of MUSC here in Charleston, South Carolina, put out, oh, we've, we've relaxed the mask mandates. What happened within 24 hours where the doctor refuses to see me, and then 24 hours the CEO, his boss, his chief surgeon, his boss, says, oh, no, that's okay. You, you can come in without the mask. Am I nuts? Well, there are there is this back and forth going. I mean, first of all, we have to start with there, there's not a lot of good, let's say, definitive science about the uh, about the value of masks. We, we we really do have to start there. Cloth masks are almost certainly worthless. Surgical masks may be a little better. There was that study in Bangladesh that showed some efficacy with respect to surgical masks. Presumably, the the KN95s are better. Um, but, uh, you know, that, 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 that's the first point, because the mask mandates generally don't even distinguish between the different types of masks, even though they have uh, uh, different levels of effectiveness. The, the, the second thing is the issue of mask mandates. How effective are they? Are people wearing the mask properly? Um, are, the, are the masks clean? Are they reusing disposable masks? Um, you know, what, there, there are so many things that, um, so many ways that a mask mandate uh, can, can really well fall short of its purposes, even if you think the masks work. And that's why when you, when you step back and look at these waves of infection, particularly the Omicron wave over, uh, over this past winter, uh, and you look at it, whether it's here uh, whether it's in uh, in Europe or other highly developed countries, what you find out is it didn't matter if you had mask mandates in place. It didn't matter if you had vaccine mandates in place. It didn't even matter if you had uh, high levels of, um, of, of vaccination rates. Um, you know, the disease still spread. I mean, vaccination helps in the sense that you are less susceptible to getting really sick from COVID. It does not, they don't not, certainly with respect to these latest variants, it does not prevent you from getting it or spreading it. So the vaccine mandates really turned out to be uh, not very helpful in achieving the goals that people hope to achieve and neither did the mask mandate. So at some point, you know, you have to change the playbook. You have to start to say, look, what can we do, first of all, to get the pharmaceutical companies to develop new vaccines instead of getting three or four shots of the same, uh, of the same vaccine against a strain that hasn't been in circulation for over a year, um, you know, is there is there new technology that might be more effective? 
And secondly, you want to get the treatments out there. You want to make sure you have adequate supply of these antivirals in the, uh, in the pipeline so that people who get the disease have access to it. And the third thing is you want to, be, you want to shoot straight with people. You, 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 you can't have this business, as you say, where one day it's a mask mandate and the next day it's not. Um, you talked about Philadelphia. They went from having a mask mandate on Monday to withdrawing it on Thursday. And then today the Board of Health voted unanimously to get rid of the methodology they used to put the mask mandate in place uh, in the first place. That's a period of four days. Uh, and that erodes public confidence in these officials, and people start to just ignore them after a while. And, and that's not good for anyone. No, Doug, no, I had a question. Do you know of any ongoing studies on the effect of these masks on the psychological welfare of young kids who had to wear these things all day in schools? You know, I, I don't have that. I, um, but, you know, I do share that uh, concern uh, that, that you have. I mean, we have a four-year-old granddaughter, and, you know, she spent, uh, she, you know, she goes to, she goes to preschool, and, um, you know, they spent over, over a year, she goes in with kids. Her face is partly covered. Their faces are partly covered. The, the teacher's faces are, are, are partly covered. I, I can't see how that can possibly be good for, uh, for early childhood development. Um, you know, and again, we're dealing in the case of kids. First of all, the CDC is the only public health agency in the world that says put masks on two-year-olds. Um, most places, if they're using masks in school at all, and most of them have gotten rid of it, we're doing it maybe at age seven and some not till age 12. Um, you know, their uh, policies varied by, by country and jurisdiction. Nobody putting masks on two-year-olds. Secondly, as we know, very fortunately with this particular pathogen, kids getting seriously ill or dying of COVID is still extremely rare. Um, so, you know, masking them uh, really isn't doing them any good in terms of protecting them against disease, even if you believe masks work. Um, you know, the kids are not... Uh, the kids are not the problem uh, in terms of uh, in terms of severe illness, um, but but secondly, are you in, in, impairing these kids' development? And I don't know that we'll know that for a while, but I fear that we're going to have some very unpleasant uh, surprises over the next few years as as the science develops on this. Well, I was also reading that some of the studies they did um, about uh, COVID. Uh, who was getting it, uh, how many people were being hospitalized, and so forth, uh, they were kind of skewed. Uh, a lot of people were listed as being the COVID cause when there may be a, a underlying cause that shows the person may have already had heart disease or cancer, or they went there for a broken leg, but they got tested for COVID while they were there, and now they're the COVID patient. So how how can we really, really, truly trust the data that's coming out of our government. (laughs) 
Well, you know, you've, you've hit on one of my sore spots is the, the, the CDC has is, is got to be the world's worst data agency. I cannot imagine that anybody does this as badly as they do. You're absolutely right. They do not distinguish when they talk about COVID hospitalizations between someone who is hospitalized for COVID and someone who is hospitalized for an entirely different reason who happens to test positive for COVID because they test everybody. Um, give you an example. My wife, thank God, is fine right now. But uh, just before Christmas, she had a subdural hematoma, a brain bleed. It all resolved. Everything was fine. But uh, when she was admitted, she was tested for COVID. Now, had it come back positive, CDC would have said, ah, there's another hospital bed uh, that's being occupied by a COVID patient. Now, I, I co-authored a study with my, my colleague, Kevin Dyer-Ratna, and we started saying, okay, who is tracking uh, the difference between people who are hospitalized because of COVID and for people for other, hospitalized for other reasons who happen to test positive for COVID. We found, believe it or not, Massachusetts and New York keep that data. And the answer is during this Omicron wave, when we were reading about, oh, the hospitals are being overwhelmed with COVID patients, somewhere between 40 and 60%, depending on, on what the point in time was, 40 or 60% of the so-called COVID patients were not COVID patients at all. Um, and, and that's a problem because, you know, the CDC tr uh, uses COVID hospitalizations as one of the triggers for recommending uh, mandates of, of, of various kinds, uh, and yet they don't know how many COVID hospitalizations there are. That's, that's really strange. We've had an alphabet soup telling us that these are mandates, OSHA, the NIH, and a couple of others. But they really don't have the legal authority to mandate. Only Congress can pass legislation to do that. So no, that's, why... That's... Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, look, um, we, we, we've had now a series of cases. First, we had CDC with its ev eviction moratorium, uh, and the court threw that out. Then, within two weeks of the court decision, President Biden uh, directed OSHA to put a vaccine mandate in place. The courts threw that out. Now we have this masking on airlines and buses and Ubers and everything else, by the CDC, incidentally using the exact same statute that they use for the uh, eviction mandate and that the Supreme Court threw out. Um, and, and now you have a federal judge on Monday ruling that, no, CDC does not have this authority. Look, if Congress wanted to pass a law or amend the existing Public Health Service Act, to give CDC the authority to put these mandates in place, I wouldn't necessarily be happy, but at least I would know that the, the agency is following the law. But they're now, they now see themselves in the business of making law. They decide on their policies, whether they're good, and in many cases the policies aren't good ones anyway, but they decide this is the policy we want, and then they get the lawyers to look for a word or two 
in a in a, in a federal statute to, to say you know what we're you know what they're using there's a in with respect to this mask mandate there's a list of things they can do you know it, it lists uh, fumigation destruction of animals so on and so forth there's, uh, you know uh, the kinds of things the CDC can do if there is uh, some kind of a public health threat they're saying that the word sanitation means masks and you know the judge laughed them out of the courtroom but this is the kind of thing that is going on where the agency is grasping for power that congress has not granted it and that's really uh, problematic it is scary it is scary um but have you been following the statistics on the vars the adverse uh, uh reaction reports um, because we're finding some very, very startling statistics coming out there, especially with children coming down with cardiac conditions and dying. Yeah, the VAERS data are not, uh, again, generally speaking, it's, it's the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, that does what they used to call post-marketing surveillance. So, what you know they do clinical trials on the drug maybe they test it on a few thousand people but then all of a sudden it's out in the in the public domain and and you know you may have hundreds of thousands or millions of people taking it and problems can arise once this thing is out in the marketplace that you didn't pick up on in the clinical trials and fda does its best to try to monitor that for some reason when it comes to vaccines we turn that monitoring over to the CDC. And the VAERS system is really not a very good one. And if you go on there, they'll tell you, you know, okay, well, this is how many people have died after the vaccination. But, you know, we don't really know if they died because they just got vaccinated. And, and it's like, well, wait a second, that's your job, isn't it? Uh, you're supposed to be monitoring the safety of the vaccines uh, and and not saying, well, you know, we had a few thousand people die, but we're not sure why. Uh, yeah, figure it out. Uh, do, do your work. So, there, there, again, we we should have a system instead of instead of CDC running around with, you know, running into court and saying people need to wear their masks and all this sort of thing. They, they, they need to focus in on getting good, sound, reliable data so that we can make intelligent decisions for ourselves uh, and, and, and for our families about how to proceed. And their, their monitoring of vaccine safety has, um, has really, really been poor. Absolutely. You know, I had a dear friend of mine just lost his grandson and uh, – I do believe it may be in the vaccine. I came close to losing my sister. She had the virus, uh, and then she decided to get the vaccine afterwards. It's like, why? You're putting the virus back into the body that you've already beat. Why would, why would you want to do that? You've already got immunity. But this is what the government's telling us, that go ahead and do it. And what did, what did uh, Biden recently say? Or was it Fauci? That we have to do the lockdown so we can make you take the, the vaccine? What happened? Oh, it's, it's my choice, my body for pro-abortion, but it's not my choice, my body in anti-vax. And I do think that, again, I think a lot of these public officials, 
and, and not just at the federal level, but also at the state and local level, um, have forgotten that they're there to, to serve the people, not to rule them. And, you know, what they need to be doing is giving us better information, reliable information, uh, increasing our confidence in, in, their, uh, in, in their advice, but letting us make our own medical decisions. Uh, this is not something that, if I want to wear a mask, that's my business, and, and, and I'm allowed to do that. It's not the government's business to tell everybody or everybody that gets into an Uber or everybody that gets on a bus or a train or an airplane that they have to wear a mask. And, and, and this is where they've kind of lost their sense of proportion. Again, early on when things were chaotic, uh, we're so much, so we knew so little about this disease, and, and doctors didn't really know how to how to treat patients with it. Uh, yeah, early on, maybe uh, some of these sweeping uh, edicts were were appropriate because nobody knew exactly what to do. It's not April of 2020 anymore. It's April of 2022, and we need to restore. Uh, the balance of things. The, the government, as I said, is here to service, not to rule over us. Well, there's also a lot of stories coming out about American labs, American, uh, yeah, federal labs also with connections to the Wuhan uh, lab, uh, evidence being destroyed, uh, and about, you know, what was the true nature of this virus. Um, I think a lot more of that's going to come out in the news, and I think the American public's going to get very, very angry. There, there are some disturbing things, as, as you know. Whether, first of all, whether or not you uh, agree with the lab leak hypothesis, it's undeniable that the, the, the Chinese government covered this up in the early days, uh, denied that there was human-to-human transmission, denied that there was any sort of a novel uh, pathogen, and so forth. Uh, you know, they were bolting people into their apartments in Wuhan and at the same time letting people get on international flights uh, and, and spreading this thing around the world. So their, uh, their irresponsible behavior is really at, at one of the reasons this thing has gotten as out of control as it has. Now, there's also uh, been, been reports, as you say, that they had, they destroyed um, or NIH at China's uh, uh, request destroyed some of the uh, sequences uh, that they uh, that they had on on, on this database that uh, uh, that 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 and, and the suspicion is that um, if that information were out there it would corroborate the the lab leak hypothesis that this came back in fact this pathogen came out of the Wuhan lab we may never know because they've uh, covered so much up, but what we do know is that they behave irresponsibly at the beginning of the pandemic and and really put uh, everyone into a, a vulnerable situation. You know, uh, we only have a few moments left because I can't believe we're down to our last five minutes on the show, but I found it very, very ironic that the Biden administration extends the COVID vaccine requirement for non-citizens at the border if you're coming across legally, but not for those that are coming across illegally. illegally. So if you come across legally, you have to be vaccinated. If you come across illegally, we're going to ask you, we're going to trust you, and that's fine by us. Yeah, the, wow. the, 
he's really got some inconsistencies. The so-called Title 42 emergency authority, which allows for swift deportation of, of, uh, of people as they come across the border. Uh, President Trump put that into effect. Uh, President Biden has left it in effect, but he's been very clear that they are going to uh, lift that order. And, of course, that's going to lead to uh, a wave of migration. And, um, I, you know, there are a whole lot of concerns about that, but certainly public health concerns are among them. The weird thing is, at the same time that um, <laughs> they're they're doing that and saying, well, you know, we're just not going to have these deportations for public health reasons uh, any longer. We're going to we're going to relinquish those emergency authorities. They're going into court and saying, well, but you know, if you want to get on an airplane, you 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 have to wear a mask. It's like they're not wearing masks coming across the border. I don't understand this uh, <laughs> yeah. at all. And and the president, I feel kind of badly for him because again, they asked him a question about the, the, the border, about Title 42, and he said, oh, yeah, the Justice Department is going to appeal that, and he had no idea what he was talking about. They had to come back and clean up the mess later in the day and say, no, 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 he was talking about the mass mandate on Americans. That were appealing, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, this, uh, this stuff about the migrants, oh, yeah, no, no, we're not going to, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to let them come in. We're not going to, we're not going to enforce that policy. <laughs> Well, Doug, it has been a pleasure. People can find you at heritage.org where they can look you up and read all your marvelous articles and studies that you've done. And thank you for, and God bless you for the hard work you do over there, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, It has been fun. All right. Doug Badger, uh, check him out. Um, Hopefully we will be back here on Friday with Curtis and a guest host because I am going to be on my way. I'll be in Nashville at a fair.org seminar, uh, so I won't be able to host. uh, So we're going to learn more about immigration over there. And this is just a seminar of just a handful of people, so I felt very, very uh, privileged to be invited to it. Uh, So I will be back the following in uh, May, and we've already got some guests lined up for that. Uh, so, Curtis, that's all we got for now, and I'm going about ready to leave uh, with our signature song by my friend Gary Pecorella, Save America. All right. All right. So, until then, folks, be out there. I say good night and God bless.